Welcome everyone to the first episode of The Podcast, a cannabis breeding and culture podcast. Our first episode is proudly sponsored by 420 Australia, your premier clothing and lifestyle store, as well as the Brothers Grimm Seed Company. You know them, they're back with the favourites and more. In our first episode, we have Duke Diamond VA of the Brothers Grimm, who was kind enough to sit down for the best part of three hours, as well as giving us a tour of the Brothers Grimm facility in Colorado. Although this show is a podcast, this episode was actually going to be a video episode. However, unfortunately, due to a technology gremlin, the video didn't save properly and we only have the audio. However, this doesn't affect the interview at all. Also, I just quickly wanted to apologize to Mr. Sol and Duke. The first 20 seconds of the interview was cut out and this was when they were both introducing themselves. So again, my apologies, but we're just going to jump right into the interview just after they've introduced themselves as we've walked into the first mother room of the tour. You're looking at the, uh, this is a sour diesel uh, skunk hybrid here. Um, you know, the original sour diesel was uh, a skunk that came out of Virginia and it got crossed with the chem dog and that made your sour diesel. So what I did was I took the same genetic, the, the, my skunk is from the same family and we crossed it to the sour diesel to bring out more of the skunky side of things there. So, you know, we have a couple of those right here. Um, we have That's really like interesting. The, uh, the, yeah, man. And then uh, over here, we have the same skunk male to the chem dog. So essentially, we've made a sour diesel using uh, just using a regular male instead of like a hermaphrodite accident, you know. So okay. having these two, yeah, we'll grow them out. You know, we'll look at little different traits, you know, like little leaf traits, like how thin, thick, var- uh, variegation or the serrations and branching patterns and things like that and then we can take these things and kind of assess them and we could actually use this like maybe a male from this to the female sour diesel clone and maybe outcross back to the sour diesel skunk depending on what traits we're looking for whether it be yield or something cool like that okay uh, so you're almost doing a sour diesel ibl in a way Yeah, exactly. Like, we'll put it into a seed form to where, like, you know, everybody chases down that clone. And with that clone, they kind of screw up, you know, because there's a lot of fake ones, you know. And everybody over here wants to be a special little snowflake. And they're like, oh, yeah, we got it. We got it. They ain't got shit, man. They ain't got nothing. They got some bag seed from something that ain't even sour, right? So it's pretty cool that if people could actually, like, grow that in seed form and be able to experience that too and be able to like sprout seeds and actually have them come up sour and diesel and you know have something good and just for everyone listening um you're referring to aj's sour diesel as the original yeah like he didn't breed it or anything but the guys up around uh, albany and up in new york city those are the guys who created her um a friend of mine on Instagram, he goes by Skunk VA. He uh, he's the guy who traded him the skunk for the chem dog back, back in '94, and um, those are that's the crew that made the sour diesel. They, it was an accident, really, but you know it, it got made. <laughs> uh, that's so interesting because I was wondering how did uh, how did you tie into the whole chem family? Well, back in uh, let's see, I think it was uh, 2004. Um, I met a guy, Kim Dog. Everybody called him back in. It was Mass G for Massachusetts, and G was his uh, initial of his first name. And I just kind of bumped into him. I was going and hitting up like music festivals and things like that. And um, 
you know, we decided like, hey, let's hang out. And I had a cutting of, uh, you know, ironically enough right now, Cinderella 99, which is all <laughs> that stuff back there. Yeah, it's all Cindy. But um, so Beautiful. he really wanted that. And I was like, yeah, no problem. So we get together and we're smoking and everything. And he's like, yeah, you know, I got this uh, this stuff I grow called Kim Dog if you, you know, want to try it. And I was like, yeah, man, absolutely. So, and here we are at this plant. This is the uh, Kim Dog D right here. Um, uh, so that's how you got your cut. Yeah, he says, uh, yeah, try this. And, you know, he's a really big guy, too. Huge hands, big burly dude. And he gives <laughs> me this little tiny, tiny bong. And he's like, yeah, hit it. So I took, <laughs> I took two hits off of it, and I started to sweat, man. And I mean fucked up like a soup sandwich man like really really <laughs> high and he's like you think it's any good and i was like you damn right it's good i love it and he's like what well, do you want it and i was like yeah, absolutely and i took him up some clones of skunk and white widow and a bunch of bunch of different stuff g13 hybrids and anyway he gives me this and uh gives me a whole bunch of stuff like super snow dog and a whole bunch of cool stuff and then, uh, like over here, this is the original. This is the what they call the '91. Uh, it also goes by the Skunk VA. Um, my buddy, he's uh, he's the guy kind of held her safe for you know what twenty something years. So, but that's her. She uh, she's a little more viney, you know, a little more lanky and everything. But uh, man, most killer killer weed on earth though. I mean, it's just so so strong. And then, like, hell, everybody's always like, God, it's so much like OG and stuff. So here, this is the uh, Triangle Kush here, which is actually, like, the mother of all of what they call OG strains, you know? Ah, I and see. she's from Florida in 1992. But, yeah, you can kind of get a look at that structure and, like, how, you know, she's very noty, you know? And then, like, you can look at the Kim Dog and you can kind of see some of those, some of those same traits. So, yeah. yeah. See, I hear That's a lot about the uh, the history of OGs, and you hear about things like the Crippy, and uh, obviously Triangle Kush quite a bit. You you think it's pretty definitively Triangle Kush? Oh yeah. Um, so like uh, you you heard of uh, Cornbread Ricky before, right? Yeah, he's pretty big on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. So he's got Swamp Boy seeds and stuff. So he's the guy who gave that triangle its name. Uh, I don't know if y'all know about like the mysterious things of the world. They have the uh, Bermuda Triangle, you know, where <laughs> yeah. Amelia Earhart was flying and got lost in it and all that. So the way it got that name was, yeah, you know, stuff would fuck you up so bad, man. You, <laughs> you would, yeah, you get lost where the hell you're going. So they ended up calling it the Triangle, and like they're from Florida too, so. Uh, you know, that name kind of stuck. But me and him have talked, and, you know, these, these plants, uh, I can't really get into it too much, but these plants, they're, they're very, very, very closely related. Yeah. So it all boils down to a couple of people that were doing some things, kind of running in the same circles, but just, uh, you know, that type of deal. Old illegal world. <laughs> yeah, so just staying <laughs> on that same point, um, a lot of your plants, they look so fantastic. It's unbelievable how old some of them are. What's your opinions Thank on you, how to um, keep your clones nice and vigorous, you know, not letting them go to crap over time? 
Well, I would say the the number one thing to do. Um, so I tell you what, man, I'm gonna take y'all on a tour to the mom area here where we keep our old mother plants and all these good things. Awesome. Probably a little bit quieter too, eh? Yeah, I know. It's so good like, at the moment. Uh, so like right here, this is a uh, Master Kush from 1996. Oh, wow. So nice, nice big broad green. leaves. Oh, yeah, man. So like the key, I would say, is, you know, you keep a plant healthy. Now, when my cousins gave me this back in the day, you know, we kept things pretty pretty healthy. Now, I got busted DEA back in 2007, and I had some friends, you know, keep cuttings here and there. And my one friend, we used to call him the butcher because, like, he'd keep a gray room 110 degrees. He'd have spider mites. He wouldn't feed them right. You know, plant looked like utter dog shit. So, yeah. you know, you get a cutting back from him, and, I mean, it just looks terrible. You don't even think this thing's going to live. But if you take a cutting, and um, I'll, I'll throw you all a little trick. So if you got something really, really sick, um, a plant, cannabis plant, they put off a, it's called salicylic acid. That's part of their, their immune system. So, um, like, to us, like, be like me and you getting like some antibiotics to help us beat an infection or something. So what you do is you get a aloe vera powder or aloe vera water. Okay, yep. now that's very high dose of salicylic acid. You can water it with that, and there's something else called neem cake that uh, is really rich in it's called azadactrin. Uh, all these things help to support the immune system. So if you give it that, and then you're also uh, you know. You, like me, I'm a soil guy. Everything's all organic soil. So if you got a good microbial life in your dirt here, and uh, you, you got what it needs to, to eat and thrive, and you got a good light source on it, um, you can make that clone look great. So if I told you that, you know, before you're seeing this, that when I got this clone, it looked like something barely alive. Well, you treat it good, you grow out a big, nice mom like this, and then you start taking good, healthy cuttings. And once you keep that good, healthy cutting, long as you keep it healthy, man, you know, they're good for, for years and years and years. Now, you'll have to excuse me, like some of these, like this one, we just got through taking a whole bunch of clones, man, for new breeding program. <laughs> but uh, It's so still beautiful, this, don't worry. <laughs> thank you, man. But this one here, this is from 1984. This is Whoa. Urban Poison. Man. Yeah. But still, just as vigorous as can be, kicking ass. Over here, we have the Airborne G13. I forgot the exact year, but I think it's somewhere around like 86 or 88, something along them lines. But yeah, man, keep them yeah. healthy. And then over here, we got the 88 G13 hash plant. It's been hacked on a little bit for cuttings and all, but the one and only. Nice. Yeah, man, the one and only, man. The thriller. <laughs> so, um, just but kind yeah, of man. looping back to the uh, that other point you made, um, especially in terms of talking about kind of the biochemistry behind it, I love uh, the Krebs cycle post you had on your Instagram. Um, and oh, yeah, I, man. I personally know that uh, you're an engineer, but I was wondering, did you do any uh, like biology or biochemistry courses at all? Because you seem to have a fairly good grasp of that as well. 
Yeah, they, um, so the, the school I went to, basically, they're like, you know, y'all are a bunch of country bumpkins, and like, <laughs> you guys, you know, you better learn how to work on a car, or wire something up, or weld something, or, you know, you kids are going to be screwed. But they also, so where I'm from, is big, uh, big agricultural area, so we grew a lot of tobacco, um, soybeans, tomatoes, you know, about anything you can think of, and we grow a little weed back in the woods, you know, a little supplemental income. But um, we, we, we did have, like, some pretty decent little classes in high school. Now, they weren't, like, very advanced, but it was enough to really get my interest peaked. And basically, man, a little cheap library card, I'd do all the researching I could. And anything I could learn, man, I'd try to pick it up, and then I would apply it, and I'd say, okay, that's good. Or it's bad, and I just kept the good things and left the bad shit behind. And um, yeah, it's uh, definitely helps if you, you know, you get into a little bit of the biology, and that gives you a pretty good fundamental on you know how plants work and photosynthesis and chloroplast and chlorophyll <laughs> and all these different things. But if you can understand why something does what it does when it does it. And how you can help facilitate that, that's all the base knowledge you need. And then, like, when you start finding out, like, oh, okay, so these plants, when they're stressed out or pissed off, well, they, they want to start producing salicylic acid to help their responses. So, like, think about what's this plant's response, right? Like, why does it produce resin? Well, it's horny, man. It wants pollen. <laughs> it wants to catch pollen and get pregnant. Also, man... The, it's fucking bright in here, man. They want to produce sunscreen as well. Yeah. And also, like, you know, hell, man, like right now, so I just plucked that leaf off right here, right? Yep. So I plucked that leaf off. It doesn't know I plucked that leaf off. It thinks something's eating it. So right now it's sitting there saying, oh, shit, something's eating me. What should I do? So all of its responses are, you know, putting off resin for sunscreen to get pregnant or maybe to produce more toxins or in our case drugs like thc so when this little rabbit eats this little leaf he's gonna think twice about it because he's all fucked up now (laughs) shaking and shit so you just kind of learn how to stimulate responses and then facilitate those responses the best that you can um whether it's aloe water salicylic acid you know or coconut water with enzymes and cytokines to help it produce more you know plant material uh in our case flowers um you know and you're just trying to you know give it everything it needs as well as kind of tease isn't it like the horse and the carrot you know you dangle it in front of the horse and it get gets you going yeah so more or less man so i guess this kind of brings us into this kind of domain of you know, how much of breeding and high-quality production is science versus, say, an art? You know, there's always this debate of science versus art. And, you know, I frequently hear of people like your friend JJ MYC of Top Dog and people talk about how he has this knack, this hunch for picking males, you know. Do you think at the end of the day a good breeder is just mostly going on a scientific approach or there's a little something extra involved? So the I that people speak of you know like when me and soul walk into a room and we're looking at plants 
what's striking our eye where we say, hey, we're looking at a certain trait in a plant. It's basically that we've done it so much that it's a learned thing. So it technically it is science. Like we're basically boiling down to, to gene pairs and frequencies of these desirable gene pairs, things that we like that we want to see more of. So say, for instance, um, so I make that strain, uh, Grimdica, right? You've seen them big-ass buds, right? Oh, yeah. So the mother plant, the hash plant, it grows buds, man, like the biggest ones probably about, you know, oh, man, it looks huge because of the so punching my head. It, uh, it, it, that's right, y'all are millimeters and centimeters. Uh, so, no, like, a bud would right. be, like, size size of an ink pen, right? The longest one. Yeah. Now, on the other side... It throws colas that are the size of a man's forearm. Now, if I want to see those forearm buds on that female plant, I can say, well, in our male, we know that, hey, you know, he he looks like this. The other male looks like this. uh, Other male looks like this. So we could say that male one has a thinner leaf. maybe a particular smell to the stem rub, and say he's uh, thin and sweet. Say male number two is, is super wide leaf and a little more fuely, and say male number three is something in between the two. Now, if we look at the sisters of these males, we could say that male number two, with the kind of big fat leaves, his females you know, counterparts, his sisters, throw big, huge colas, right? So these two traits could be linked. So big, fat leaf could also be linked to big, fat bud and floral cluster. Or it could be the opposite, you know? So you would know to say that, okay, so the male that I'm wanting to roll with could be this big, fat one if I'm looking for yield. So I take this big, fat, wide leaf thing, I pollinate this hash plant, and then uh, we look at the results, so now in the in the progeny, man, we're looking at these children and these kids, man. We notice that you know you're still going to see these thin-leafed phenotypes, you know, that maybe had the smaller bud, and you're also going to see the other phenotype with the wider leaf. And you notice, hey, throwing big, huge buds again. So we could refine this a step further and take like a you know a male, same type deal, female and take it to an F2 generation, and then we could do it again and take it to an F3. And basically what you're looking to do is, if you were only trying to do that one thing, that's cool, but we're not that fortunate. You know, our crops, we're looking for smell, we're looking for flavor, we're looking Mm -hmm. for potency, yield, vigor, all these different things. So you're trying to up the frequencies of all these desirable things and know how to find them by these, like I said, these gene pairs. So I might be looking at a leaf trait on one, come out with a smell trait. I could be looking at, hell, even the serrations or how many leaves that it's actually producing on these fan leaves or a number of different things. There's root mass, there's speed of growth. How long did the males take to get to sexual maturity was always a big one for me, like as far as potency. 
how fast does it veg? Does it veg slow? Does it veg quick? Because all, all the plants, they have this energy in them, you know? Like, so if he, he's not trying to grow super quick, that means his energy's in there. He's going to do something with it. So maybe it's going to be throwing big, massive buds and flower, or maybe all his energy's going into resin production, right? So a lot of it is, you know, you go off of these things first, then you see what you come up with at the end, and then you can assess it from there and move forward. Um, another step would be instead of the filial generation breeding, we could take these and, like, say, back cross it, you know? So let's say now I'm throwing these big, massive, huge buds, but I lost a little potency. But the mama hash plant, man, you know, it puts your dick in the dirt. So I might say, well, I'll find my male out of that F1 generation, look for that big leaf trait again for those big buds, and then back cross it back to the original mom and try to regain some potency from there, you know? Yeah. So with kind of that same topic in mind, we see like labs these days offering tests claiming they can, you know, tell the sex of males before they've even got more than a couple nodes going. How do you think this kind of thing plays into the scene? Do you think it's like a fad or do you think this technology will legitimately find a use in most breeders' stable? I think that with the price of it and the availability of it coming, that I really do think that it would help if I could put genetic markers on these things, like these pairs that I'm able to see with my eye. It would help me along to be able to say, well, it's definitely this. You know, there's science backing this up i had these markers put into place for yield and potency so it would it would help me along pretty good but i mean you got to be a rich motherfucker to be able to afford all that right now and you know guys like uh soul and myself we've done it for so many years without being able to go to a lab you know or any of these things to where we can do it do it by eye and putting it on paper and recording these things so you know, it does help, but on the other token, like, you don't absolutely need it. It is a nice thing, don't get me wrong, but, you know, we can still accomplish what we're looking to do, you know, without uh, without the labs and everything. Yeah, for sure. So, kind of uh, how you just mentioned you've been doing this for years, something I wanted to ask everyone I interview is... Uh, Take me back to uh, when you first started smoking. What was your initial acquaintance with cannabis? You know, was it a family affair? Was it you and some friends getting up to some mischief? Mm-hmm. So uh, I had a friend in high school, and ironically enough, his last name is Blunt. I don't know if y'all smoke <laughs> Blunts over in, uh, over in Australia yeah, or not. Yeah, people do. But, um, so uh, him and this other girl named Jessica was a little punk rock chick, and she had some good weed, and we smoked it. And right then and there, I loved it, you know, like made me feel real good and calm. And I was always kind of anxious and, I don't know, a little uptight and didn't really like people. Well, I guess I still don't like people too much. <laughs> Bit but of an introvert. It, really, it did enhance, yeah, definitely enhance things. So from there, I'm like, well... I'm going to take these seeds out of this weed and I can grow tomatoes. I can grow everything under the sun. So why should this be any different? So I started growing it and uh, my cousins, man, and they, they saw me, you know, what I was doing. I was 12 years old and I had all these seedlings sprouted up and they were like, you know, look, man, it is what it is. You're doing what you're doing. Let's, let's help you 
do it a little safely so you don't end up in prison, you don't end up all screwed up, and we'll show you how to do it the right way. And basically that year I turned into a water boy, and I would help them take large amounts of water through the woods, which really sucked because <laughs> in Virginia, summertime temperatures are like 110 Fahrenheit, 80-90% humidity. It feels like a jungle. And uh, you got snakes, man, copperheads, and water moccasins, and then you got, you know, uh, hunters here. They have these people called game wardens that make sure that you don't kill too many deer or whatever the hell. But they also, during the summer months, they help uh, help the cops locate grows. So they were showing me how to be sneaky about it and how to hide it and all the right things. So it was something of an apprenticeship, and uh, oh, nice. I got to learn... Yeah, how to make seeds for the next year or the following years and, um, you know, how to locate the good plants and how to top them or pinch them and make them bush out and how to feed them and how to mix soil and uh, make use of, you know, what's around you and finding water and such. So that's kind of how I got kicked off. And so what was the scene like back then? Was it all everyone was kind of insularly doing their own thing amongst their kind of hill is the expression I've heard or... Was it more kind of people were just starting to work together and get the ball rolling? Well, in those days, like in my area at least, it was um, it was something that you kept very very quiet. You didn't want to, uh, you didn't even want people knowing you smoke weed because, like, if that joker man he gets a DUI even, uh, which is here it's driving under the influence. So if yeah. you were drinking beer and driving drunk, you know. Yeah, so yeah. in order for them to get out of trouble, they would say, oh, yeah, officer, you know, I'm drunk and shit, but this guy up the street's growing weed or he smokes weed or whatever. They tell on you, then you're up in the damn uh, prison, and then they're free. So that, there was that, and then other people would just bother you all the time. Hey, man, sell me a little bag. I just want a gram. Or uh, is this more trouble than it was worth? So you just kept everything super, super, super quiet. Wow. You damn sure didn't let nobody know you grow. Uh, you uh, That was like rule number one. You don't tell nobody nothing. You always keep it quiet as can be. Yeah. So on your first couple of grows, what were they like? You know, what type of technology were you using? And I think more kind of interesting to me is what was the quality like? So... Ironically, like, you know, my cousins, man, they started me off, they bought stuff from the Super Sativa Seed Club. That was their main place they like to get their seed stock. Uh, SSSC. Oh, awesome. Super awesome. Now, as a kid, I'm like, well, I'm looking at this magazine. They're like, oh, yeah, bubblegum, blueberry, this and that. And I'm like, oh, wow, look at these pictures. And that looks like the shit, man. I'm I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to buy this stuff, and I'm going to try to grow this. And then you find out that it won't that good, man. It really won't. So mm. genetically, I was really started out on the, on the right path. Um, as far as technology went, in the early years, I was a strictly outdoors, man. Um, didn't really want to set anything up inside. And not that... I could. I was so young, you know. I didn't. I didn't have a place to do it. But um, so when I was 15, I got kicked out of the house. Uh, Mom uh, caught me with a few pounds of weed. I was, I was stupid. I was trying to 
stash it in my closet and the whole house smelled like a <laughs> dead skunk, you know? Just a few pounds. So, um, <laughs> yeah, just a few pounds, man. I was just trying to get by, you know, need to buy some comic books. So, um, you know, that, that happened. And then, um, I went down to the city, which is like Richmond, Virginia, and I was able to hook up, um, a little apartment with a buddy. And I was like, Hey man, I can grow us some more of this, you know? And it's like, all right. So I got a, uh, <laughs> it was actually a street lamp. Uh, <laughs> I'm back ballast and I hooked, uh, yeah, I wired it up and I uh, hooked up a single bulb with a parabolic reflector. Um, which is funny because that's how Mr. Soul's got his rigged up right now. <laughs> but he's kicking ass with it. Like, I'll tell you, man, these parabolic reflectors, they do a pretty good job. So um, so I hook up one of those. Now, growing outside, I mean, it, I was kicking ass, you know. I do real good. So growing inside, it was a big learning curve because now I don't have Mother Nature helping me so much, man. Um now it's kind of all mm-hmm. up to me, so it's too hot, too humid. Um, I mean, it didn't look good, man. It was, I'm, I've been ashamed. Like I wouldn't show show nobody that shit. It was awful. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I started uh, getting some books, and I'm like, man, I gotta, I gotta figure this indoor shit out. So I got, uh, I think it was Ed Rosenthal Col- Closet Cultivator. And then I uh, had Marijuana Botany by Robert Connell Clark. Uh, and the, the botany was more like a college textbook, you know. It, it it taught me a lot of, like, why this cannabis plant is doing what it's doing and why it's doing it. But the closet cultivator gave me some ideas like, hey, you know, get, get a little dehumidifier. Or, you know, you're looking to keep it around this temperature or this temperature and a lot of little tricks so i took it to heart i really tried you know and i was like this i'm not having my ass whipped by this indoor (laughs) grow and i made it happen and it turned out really really good and then i just kept trying to refine it a little bit each time you know so and that's the other thing man people all keep saying like oh that guy's a master grower man he's a master man i'm gonna tell you the day you think you got that plant mastered, it will show you you don't know shit, man. It will humble your ass. So you never master it, but you get a little bit better each time you do it. And that's the thing. Don't ever close your mind, you know. Just keep it open and keep learning and, you know, maybe not trying so many different things, but always be open to try something different, you know. And oh, yeah. even if it sounds kind of weird and crazy, like, when I started doing like molasses and sugar and juice and, you know, pouring it on these plants, most people are like, dude, you're insane, man. You're going to kill that motherfucker. And, but I mean, if you break it down into the science of it and you look at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that, that makes sense. And then, you know, proofs in the pudding. So, you know, you try it out and you're like, yeah, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So, um, just touching back on how you mentioned, uh, RC Clark and, um, uh, a few others. Who were the uh, the people you looked up to in the early days? Who were your go-to breeders and your gurus, so to speak? So the first people that I spoke with, so I had a buddy. He had a computer, 
which was awesome. I didn't have a computer, never used computers or any of that. So he had internet, which was like, whoa, this is cool, man. You know, you can look at porno and weed and everything. And <laughs> they had these forums, you know, and I'm like, okay. So, like, you could see these other growers and they're taking pictures of their weed, which I was like, dude, man, that's sketchy, crazy, man. <laughs> So uh, some of the first people I talked to was like Vic High, um, Subcool, uh, Mr. Stoll. And we got to really, you know, sharing and talking about different ways of growing and, um, you know, just kind of just sharing back and forth. Like, hey, look at this. This is pretty cool. Or, hey, I see what you got there, man. That looks pretty cool. And, you know, you kind of pick up little tidbits and tricks, you know, like, one guy might have a cool little soil recipe that you, you know, you add it to yours, or he might have a different way of growing or breeding, or you never know. And you just take all these little good tidbits, you put them together, and wham, bam, you know, you start coming up with some real winning, winning recipes, you know. So, uh, sounds like you're in a pretty fortunate position to be able to chat to all of these awesome uh, breeders at the time. Where did the original Brothers Grimm fit into things for you? Were they kind of hitting their peak popularity when you were getting into growing? Like, where did you see them in their initial incarnation? It was really weird because, like, when I when I made my first order uh, in 2000, like, they were known, but not, like, you know, super hugely well-known, um... I don't really think people realize what they had or how good it was until after it was gone, you know? Um, people would overlook things back in those days, you know, because you had your old standby. You it sounds Sensi. like today. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly like today, but we almost have, like, the opposite problem because, like, there's, like, a million of these guys that are like, oh, yeah, we're breeders, it's like, bro, because you put fucking pollen on a on a marijuana flower, don't make you a fucking breeder, man. So you're a seed maker, a glorified seed maker. So you you got all this garbage out there to try to root through. But back then, there weren't that many people doing it. But people were very afraid to to change, you know, and like for for good reason too, because there was a lot of just chicken shit genetics then too. But I saw the pictures. Um, and like soul's descriptions of the shit, like piqued my interest, you know, I'm like, yeah, I want to walk on the fucking moon, you know? <laughs> yeah. I want to, you know, smoke some weed to make me trip the fuck out. Right, buddy. So, you know, like I was like, well, that sounds real good and a quick flower time. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to take my, my money. I'm going to get a money order. I'm going to send it on up to Canada, the heaven stairway. And I'm going to get a pack of this shit and see what it's all about. And it was so good that it's 2016, or a DEA raid later, and I still got that same clone. Had I lost that, I would be so butthurt, man. I'd be really mad if I lost that, man. Yeah, so... uh, Yeah, I mean, you know, they were were getting it in back then, but they just didn't have the, uh, the recognition yet. And then it was definitely afterwards everybody's disbanded and long gone before people were like wow that was the shit (laughs) yeah for sure 
So how did you initially get in touch with Mr. Soul and kind of broach the idea of bringing Brothers Grimm back, or did he come to you with the idea? Well, Subcool uh, hit me up. How the fuck was that? Like uh, like a summer, last, summer, like last, like this time, this year, wasn't it? Or a little earlier. Yeah. So it was June, probably, maybe. yeah, around June of last year, and said, hey, man, fucking uh, Mr. Soul just got in told of me, and he was, like, looking looking to get back in the industry, get a job. And I was like, well, okay, that's cool. And he's like, do you, you know, you know any place he could, you know, come out and do shit? I was like, well, you know, I'm here in Colorado, and, you know, there's, there's jobs to be had out here, so... Ended up, uh, he gives me a call. He's like, yeah, man, I'm ready to, ready to rock and roll, man. I'm like, all right, cool. So I'll set you up with this little job here. You can work with me. And we got to, you know, working around each other. And we're like, yeah, man, you know, start making some seeds. And we got the genetics. We know what to do. You know, why not? Seems like the right the right mix, the right match. And we just said, give fuck the world it. what it wants. Resurrect Brothers. Yeah, Brothers. give them what they want, man. That shit they've been missing. That's <laughs> it. That's it. So when you guys yeah, first man. started uh, brainstorming, what were some of the initial ideas you had for Brothers Grimm? Was it initially, let's just re-release some of the classics and go from there? Or did you kind of have some clear goals as to what you wanted to do in the future? Well, we, uh, we definitely knew that uh, right off the bat, you got to have the classics. Um, stuff that... Like we were saying, people didn't realize what they had or what was out there until it was already gone. So, you know, having Cinderella, um, having the Apollos, the Rosetta, all these old classics, you know, that was a definite, you got to have it. You got to have it out there. Um, but we did realize, like, hey, you know, we do have all this original stock. It's only so much work to, to get these done and back out there. But we already know that the work from back in the 90s into the 2000s i mean it just crushes everything that's around today like i can't believe these jokers have been working fucking 15 years and got this chicken shit but so yeah i'm gonna try to be nice man but i mean for real <laughs> keep though, it civil garbage, man so we know like that's already gonna be good but we looked at it like okay well where did we want to go like what what else did we want to do so we're picking up on some of his old stuff and you know i had a lot of my own things that i was looking to do and things that i did way back that were like great strains but i didn't sell seeds uh, you know i'd sell some to like an outdoor farmer you know in the northeast or you know just helping friends out or growing them myself so that's stuff that i know that the general public you know they'd really dig it so we were looking along the lines of that and then you kind of look at like what's the world missing you know like there's not really any really serious good haze hybrids you know the um, jj kicks ass with the chem dog you know what i mean um but you know there's you know a lot more work that can be done with the chem dog and stuff you know of course there's like a million people out there like yeah sour diesel and seed form and it ain't sour and it ain't diesel you know so you know i thought that was a good one um the skunk you know that kind of went out back in the 90s people talk about, oh yeah roadkill skunk's real awesome so you know that was something we you know you had to resurrect that good haze hybrids good sativas basically all the things that people want but it's really not out there um and, you know, like, a lot of the indica stuff, too, is 
you know, real big. A lot of people are getting Indica stuff, and they're like, oh, yeah, it's Indica, but it's really, it's like, uh, it's more than a polyhybrid, and it's not really Indica either, you know. It's not really that good narcotic drug traits that we're looking for, you know, the stuff that just makes you melt in the couch, like, oh, I can't move, man. I want to get pizza, but I can't move. So, you know, you need these things back in your life. So, um, and we got our old genetic collection back. It goes as far back as 1978, some of these clones. So, you know, we're able to really kick it off and get things rolling proper again the way they should be, you know. Yeah, so I've got a bit of a longer question here, but it does tie into those indicators. Um, so not too long ago, I was watching when Mr. Soul was on the, uh, the Adam Dunn show and, um, and he was speaking about his former partner, Sly, and it made me realize that you and him have a lot in common, in my opinion. Um, and, you know, I hope I don't paraphrase Mr. Soul wrong here, but um, he essentially said, you know, not only did he help him with the breeding, but he helped him to kind of round out the offering in terms of bring some other strains to the table. And it certainly appears like you uh, seem to do that in terms of the Grimdicker and the Hashmaster and the new release. So how do you feel about this comparison to Sly? And uh, do you, are these new Indica strains kind of more your children? Yeah, man. Um, I definitely, I really, really like my Indicas. Um, Sly did a great job. Like uh, one of my favorite ones was called Sugar Blossoms. And um, that was one that really didn't make it out a lot. But man, it was really killer. So like on the same token, like I loved like the Cindy, I loved the Apollo the like green giant was, was a great one. Um, the sugar blossoms was great. The, the grim widow was great. So uh, Sly, he was a kick-ass dude himself, man. I'd say you'd agree, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Got lucky both times. Mm-hmm. Hey, I got lucky twice. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah. so when we look at the new uh, brothers' grim offering just recently put out. Um, we noticed that some of the strains have been slightly altered in their genetic composition for re-release, such as the Rosetta Stone, which now has a pure Jack Herra mother, as well as the Apollo 11, which is now uh, sort of a back cross. Um, why did you guys decide to do this, and how do you think it'll affect them compared to, say, the former editions? So, with the... Uh, I'll start, I guess, with the, uh, the Rosetta Stone. Um, so, Cafe Girl... For one, it's it's goner. She's not to be had anymore. Yeah. Yeah. He was saying he was he was planning to call her out before before it even stopped. But I would say, yeah, it was like one of them things. Some people like, some people don't. Um, but the 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 girl herself would have been out of those three seeds the most uh, jack leaning of the of the group um me personally i say like the 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 genius is the most of the haze dominant of the of the group the princess to me is more of the nl5 dominant out of the group um so when you want to do like like rosetta stone the jack hair is just mind-blowing well the one that we use it's the same one that Sensi would have used. Um, Jack Hare even selected the selected the clone. So uh, it's his personal cut. Yeah, exactly. It's very, 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 very stinky. 
It's got that super lemon pine haze funk. Uh, yeah, sandalwood and all. It doesn't have a. Yeah, he's so going to make a mince. <laughs> Probably yeah. attract other Tough men, unfortunately. Yay, there we go. We got the name, man. <laughs> yeah, man, we're shutting down the seeds. We're going into the yeah, colognes and fragrances. So, um, But the structure of it, that sativa haze dominance out of it, um, made, a, made a better parent than the cafe girl would have ever made and um, would have given you a better improved version of Rosetta Stone and kind of what it was intended to be was a very, you know, nice hazy, put you put your mind in the clouds yeah, a lot of jack influence, man that's what we're looking for yeah, nice um, as far as the um, so the A11 is actually going to be just A11, it won't be a back cross or anything, we just had to go grow out a literal shit ton of Cinderella 99 and find the right male to use and we've grown out more than what I'm even comfortable saying right now <laughs> no. uh, we got okay. our boy and that boy he's lined up that back right in here we're going to make like a nice little little batch of nothing but A11 in there so we'll have that Cindy hitting the um, the genius and making A11 from scratch. The, um, the Apollo 13, same way. It's not a back cross. It's just made from just made from scratch, the same same way as it always was. P75 to Genius, and you got it. So everything's made the made the same way. But that Rosetta Stone, that would be the one that is that is different. Nice, but I mean, yeah. we could totally argue it. Too. It's a bit improved, even maybe. Awesome. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't hear you. Oh, sorry, I was, sorry. I was going to say, I'm sure the Rosetta Stone's improved. Oh, yeah, man. I'm going to, uh, matter of fact, uh, I'll take y'all on a little tour since we're talking about it, man. I'll show you a, a couple of the different uh, phenotypes of the of the old Rosetta. Just got to walk upstairs, man. Oh, yeah, here. There's a big-ass Cindy, Cindy mom. Uh, nice. While we're talking about Cindy, i got a quick question on it. Obviously, Cindy is um, yeah. actually a BX3. You know, it's a it's another word for the princess BX3. Um, in your ideal world, would you want all Brothers Grimm strains to be kind of true breeding and at that back cross level, or do you think F1s have a good place in the breeding world? A little bit of both. Uh, so, like uh, the Cindy ninety nine, that's uh, four four back crosses. Um. That makes uh, it very stable, good mistake. breeding stock. Certain things, I would say, yeah. So there's, to me, uh, filial breeding and back crossing. They're two different tools. So certain tools work better for certain jobs. So you could say, like, with Apollo 13 and Apollo 11, they're way, way better as an F1, just that original F1 hybrid, than they are as a back cross or... F3, F4, you start to lose things. So certain strains, you, you start to lose things in translation, you know. Um, certain things you can. You can back cross them, fill them out, um, and improve them even, you know, make them more potent or better, right? But um, certain things, that they just don't, they don't like it. You can lock down smell, flavor, structure, all this, but sometimes you start to lose that potency. And a lot of that I attribute to the 
just that hybrid vigor, you know, having two unrelated things or even two slightly related things go together and you, you create a monster, but you take it beyond that, you might be able to keep a lot of it, but some of it, you know, it's, it's not going to be as good as that F1. So with us, we're, we're like, you know, it's got to be meet the parent or beat the parent. We don't accept mediocrity, man. If it ain't as good or better, it goes right down the shitter, man. We ain't, we ain't having it. So we, we want great, not good, you know. Yeah. So, yeah. Walk on through. Yeah. So I'm not sure if you've noticed, so, yeah. but there seems to be like a, a current trend among some breeders to just want to take everything to the F2 or the F3. Do you think that this is a, a bit of a the wrong kind of approach, or do you think maybe they'd be better off maybe backcrossing things or just keeping them as F1s? Um, certain things they could. Um, so when somebody makes an F2, um, a lot of people they don't have the concept of what's going to happen. They think, oh, wow, you know, they took it to F2. It's going to be stable, right? But that's not the case, man. When you breed stuff to F2, if, like, I take, um, let's say I take, like, an indica plant and a pure sativa plant, and I make an F1, and we're seeing, like, five phenotypes. You know, one should be more like the mom, three should be like a blend of the two, and then one should be more like the daddy. So now we take it to an F2, and I think the ratio is like, what the fuck is it, man? It's like 9335. So basically what happens yeah, is now you've got sequence. every color of the rainbow. Stuff. Yeah, man, it is all over the place. You'll see stuff not only from the mom, but shit from her mom and her dad and all these recessive things popping up. Yeah, before you stabilize. Yeah. So basically, you know, you're just going to end up with this big nasty spread. Now, it can be cool, like, if me and you are looking for a very, very special something to use, like, yeah, I mean, it, it could be cool. But for people that are like, oh, well, take, like, Girl Scout cookies, right? So you take that garbage, right? It's already a polyhybrid. You, even if you do make an F1 with something, it's still a polyhybrid. So now if you take that, you make an F2, man, you got shit all over the place. And somebody's going to say, hey, man, here's the F2 Girl Scout cookies. And they're going to show you this picture of a forum cut Girl Scout cookies. Man, you'll be hard-pressed to find that sucker in them F2s. You're going to see stuff all over the place. So, you know, it, it has its place, but... Normally, an F2 is like something at a you know a good solid breeding program, and you're looking to really refine something during that F2 search. Or if I didn't find what I wanted to use as like say like a back cross to something in the mom, I didn't really see exactly what I was looking for in my F1 population. I might take it to an F2 to get that big diversity to find that rare thing that I am looking for to where I have more of these gene pairs in one male per se to take that and then take it back to the mom, then use it. Um, now, taking things to F3 and F4, like I said, you do stabilize them, but you know, some strains like it, some strains don't. Some of them are going to say... Yeah, we're going to be structurally great, but the potency is going to go down. The smell is going to water down. Some of them get better. So it's kind of a, a trial and error, I guess, from strain to strain to what, you know, what you're going to be able to accomplish. I found that cubing, like if you're looking for one specific phenotype and you're looking to lock down all the true traits of that specific phenotype, 
you're really hard pressed to beat beat the cubing method. Yeah, of course. So, uh, just touching back on uh, the Girl Scout cookies, uh, what's your general feelings about kind of these more fad strains? You know, your Gorilla Glues, your Girl Scout cookies, and you know, back in the day, the Blue Dreams. You know, do you think these these strains have a place in the breeding world, or would you just never consider working with them? Um, I really wouldn't work with them. Um, yeah, exactly. It kind of it is what it is. Um, if you did want to put it into a seed form, I mean, you could go along the, uh, yeah, that's nice, huh? Um, you could, uh, you could go along and say, yeah, man, you know, we'll cube out the Girl Scout cookie clone and, uh, we'll make it into a seed form. Now it could be done, but I'm not trying to work on something that I don't even really like, you know, the thing about Girl Scouts, it looks like super crazy resinous. And it looks like it would hurt you, man, but it don't. Like, I barely catch a buzz on the stuff. It tastes real good, but hell, man, I know a bunch of shit that tastes good. I mean, I'd go eat some Girl Scout cookies if I want to taste the shit, you know? But, you know, that's I guess it's subjective. Some people like it. I'm just, eh, I don't know. I've had better. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, getting back onto more your kind of strains... We've uh, had some talk about the uh, the Durban tie Cindy 99 possibly being re-released. Is there anything you might oh, yeah. be able to share with us about that? Yeah, we're actually working on it right now, that uh, that Durban that you actually saw. So since the Tiva Seed Club, they're the ones that made the, <clears throat> the Durban tie high flyer. Um, we, don't, we don't have it anymore, sadly. Um, super killer strands, one of the best things I ever smoked in my life. I mean, just... Sure, ridiculously potent. I mean, make you scared. You know, you really get freaked out high. So um, basically, what we got to do, um, we had a, the, the best outstanding Durban I've ever ever had, ever seen. I've never seen anything come close to this one. And I have a really nice tie. And now we have our Cindy Mail. So basically, what we got to do, we got to make it make it from scratch, man. So we are we are currently working on it. The the uh, first F1 outcross, basically step one of it's actually getting ready to go down in like like ten days, fourteen days. So it'll be something you'll see it by next year because we'll have to make two different sides of it, and we'll probably actually use uh, one filial cross to find what we're really looking for, and then we'll take that back probably to the tie or depending on how the offspring turn out what we're looking to lock down but yeah dtc 99 will definitely be back out there because that's just killer man (laughs) (laughs) can we uh expect to see any others from the form menu released or do you think that might be the last of the first edition well we're looking at the um we're looking at the um the green giant um the grim widow and the Durban tie Cindy ninety nine. Um, those would be the first things that we really get to get to working on. Um, other things that probably see like something like the sugar blossoms again. You know the white widow hybrid. Um, what I'm really looking to do is um, so it's kind of weird the uh, the Kim Dog D. The smell, the structure, and a lot of things about that remind me a lot of the princess. Um, and the genius actually reminds me a bit of the 91 in certain ways, 
but kind of like on opposite ends of the spectrum um, where the chem dog is very much just crushes you man where the genius is so like uplifting so i'm actually looking to experiment a lot with the combinations of those two two different gene pools and nobody else has really really messed around with it yet so that'd be pretty pretty cool man awesome so uh keeping with the kind of topic of breeding what would be kind of your number one advice for a a freshly starting out breeder in terms of what what are they best uh in terms of what what's their energy best spent doing should you be trying to grow out the largest numbers of one strain you can and trying to get you know your selection right or maybe a few different strains and trying to find some unique things to cross together what would be your advice i would say don't start breeding stuff unless you're super super passionate about the weed like if it's just like eh, you know the weed's pretty good you know i enjoy it you want something that's really got your attention like wow this is the best weed i've ever had in my life it works for me better than anything i've ever had this is what i want man this is all i want you know when you have that type of feel to like that's what you what you really want um that's where it all kind of starts and then you might say well i really like it but you know the structure on it is god awful man you know so that might be your starting point is like hey i really love this stuff but i want to improve something or it might have everything you're looking for all in one and you just might want to stabilize that um i would say if you know what you're looking for trait wise and stuff you wouldn't necessarily have to grow out huge populations but the more you grow the more opportunities you're going to see to find things that 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 would go along with this breeding program better so where you might nail down like two out of the five traits you're looking to nail um if you grew out say 50 of these plants instead you might find that male that you could lock down all these traits with this one male, you know, or a good portion of them. So the more is definitely the better. You don't necessarily have to, but it's probably going to take you longer to, to get, to get where you're wanting to go with it. Um, but I would say definitely have a vision in mind. Um, and it's good to have a good diverse palate, as they would say, you know, like, uh, if you wanted a good chef, I mean, if the son of a bitch has only cooked barbecue his whole life and ate barbecue his whole life, you know, you put him in a restaurant with, like, 50 things on the menu, it probably ain't going to be too good. So it's pretty good to get around, try different things, grow different things, and you can start to see things. So, like, even in a polyhybrid, like Girl Scout cookies, right? You grow that out. Man, I don't see Girl Scout cookies, man. I smell Durban. I taste Durban. I'm starting to taste uh, little bits of Lebanese hash plant. You know, I can start to pick apart all these different ingredients into this stuff because I've grown all them all. You know, I've grown Northern Lights. I've grown the Skunk. I've grown the Colombian and the Northern Lights Haze and Pure Haze. And, you know, anything you can think of, I've done grown it already and grown it in pretty good numbers to say, yeah, that's that Fino, that's that Fino. This is showing me this and that and I know this ain't going to breed worth a damn because it won't breed true for it and so on and so forth. So 
I would say, you know, definitely make sure, you know, you, you get well-versed, grow in different things, have a good goal in mind of what you want to do, and make sure that it's something that you're really, really loving, you know, like you're passionate about it. So I would say that's the best advice I could give them. And pay attention to detail, like even the smallest things, like uh, the, the serrations on a leaf um, and the, the petioles and the colors of, of, the, of the stem and the flowers and the floral clusters and um, the length between nodes and how they get tighter and like the ratio of how they get tighter and every little tiniest traits that you can think of, even the lines and the leaves, you know, all these things, they're all bound to something. It could be something insignificant or it could be something big, like these serrations might be potency that's tied to it could be yield, it could be smell, hell, it could be fiber production and stalk, you never know. Or it could be something insignificant like, what's well, the, the arrangement of these lines on this leaf is associated with that, you know, serration. So keep all those in mind, and as you're growing them out, you know, see what happens. Like if you got notes saying, all right, they're thin, they got real jagged saw serrations, and they're tall and lanky, you might notice those are your most potent ones, and you might say the other ones aren't as potent. So, you know, if you're going to find your male, you might be looking for these female traits in a male plant. might be, okay, I'd make sure I get the saw serrations, thin leaf, you know, lankier male is probably going to end up giving me what I want in my later generation. Great advice, great advice. So, uh, keeping on that theme of genetics, um, how do you think epigenetics plays into breeding? You know, I've heard people talk about this idea of seeds coming from really good uh, breeding environments, you know, good plants that were taken care of well, uh, you know, they perform better, you know. How do you feel about that idea? Absolutely, man. Um, so, I've, I've <laughs> I had some buddies that made seeds. I'm not even going to put, put them out there like that, but... They, um, man, they're terrible, man. They're terrible growers and everything. So they were making seeds on unhealthy plants, man. So now if you take like human beings, for instance, right? And you got a mom, man, she smokes crack. She drinks 40s of malt liquor, man. She, she's fat and nasty and not healthy at all. Eats like shit. Man, that baby's probably going to be premature. It's going to be all fucked up and nasty and, you know, not what you want. Now you take like say like uh, some chick that's uh, big into yoga and eating right, and she takes prenatal vitamins and all this and that. Well, when she gives birth to her baby, it's probably going to be pretty healthy, you know. Now it also plays a part in like was Daddy a big Olympian muscle builder, and was she like an athletic type, and you know that plays a part too. But the health, the overall health of her during that that time of carrying this baby. I definitely see it, you know, with the with the plants too. If you got a good, healthy plant that is of a good genetic background, and you facilitate seed growth and like um, keeping these plants as healthy as possible and feeding them, because the seeded plant they eat a hell of a lot of food, man. So you got to feed them a lot. Um, I try to facilitate seed growth by adding a boron. Any source of boron is super, super crucial to, to good seed development. Um, amino acids derived from organic soybean. Um, you know, a lot of, lot of extra little perks that I give them that I don't 
with say like a normal flowering plant, you know, that's like sunsy crop or whatever. And I do notice that when I sprout my seeds, I get a better germination. Um, they tend to blow through the ground a lot quicker. And I tend to see like a more vigorous plant, more resistant plant against like disease and pest and everything. And they typically just overall bigger in health, you know? So I definitely believe that, yeah, you want to, you want to take real good care of them when they're pregnant, man, or else they'll, they'll let you know. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, we've seemed to have gone through a few generations of different lighting technology within, say, the past 10 years. You know, we've gone from HIDs to LEDs, and now we've got these double-ended Gavita bulbs. Have you guys moved to Gavita as your kind of gold standard as a lot of the industry has, or do you think the technology is not quite there yet? So, um, you know, like I was talking about earlier, I was on the old parabolic reflector, you know, and there was the HPS air-cooled hoods. So, um, like, if you've seen some of them pictures I put up last night of them flowers, that's grown oh, yeah. in a basement under old-ass HPS hoods, man. Like, garbage, I wouldn't have man. thought so. Oh, I know, right? But, um, so, like, if you're growing real good and you give them what they need, like, you can still get good quality and you know, get real good yields from them. But I'm going to tell you, these double-ended lamps, dude, it ain't even fair, man. Like, I was hitting, like, three of light on HPS technology. And, <laughs> like, I'm using these things right now, man. I hope I don't blind you out. But Yeah, no, that's good. We can see it well. Yeah, man. So those suckers, man. Man. Yeah. It, it, it just makes it so much. Like, the plants just get bigger buds bigger more dense um so i would say yeah the double-ended technology i would say is um very good i will say this say man for y'all in australia don't buy gavita they they're owned by this company called monsanto man oh like, really monsanto, like the evil empire man like yeah don't support of... suckers at all man they're looking to take over the world and like not in a good way yeah so, so we got an analog <clears throat> Nanolux, man, that's the company I've been using, and I really, really like their stuff. Um, I'm not like paid by them, I ain't sponsored by them or nothing. So, like, I'm just like you, you know, I got money I try to make, and um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna spend it well. So, <laughs> with the Nanolux, I don't see any failures with it. Um, there's another brand out there called Papillon, E Papillon, and the Phantom DE. And I noticed here in this warehouse, like, when we had, like, blackouts or brownouts where the lighting kind of flickers, man, their ballast would just fail, you know? Now, with these Nanoluxes, man, they don't skip a beat. They don't break. They're just great. The design's very streamlined, so you can <clears throat> mount them better. The price on them, they're cheaper than Gavita or any of the others. And um, they have a lot of really cool technology and features using, like, wireless controllers where they give you like a sunrise function where it might start off at 400 watts, you know, and then after 30 minutes it goes to 500 and it slowly creeps up over however long you want to set it. You can replicate a sunrise and a sunset. Um, it has temperature sensing technology to where it says, okay, um, you know, I know that this guy wants my temperature to be, you know, no hotter than 85 degrees at this canopy. So when it hits 86 or 87, the light says, oh, hey, man, 
I'm getting it too hot for this guy. So it goes from 1,000 watts, and it might go down to 950 watts or 921 watts, whatever it needs to do to satisfy that temperature set point, you know? So they're really smart and really nice. And hell, man, like I can even look at this shit on my phone. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sweet, man. Yeah. Yeah, sorry for interrupting before. I was just going to say, yeah, people in Australia are very aware of Monsanto and are definitely oh, not fans of them. So thankfully we're yeah, up to date on them. that. Um, good, good, good. So the next kind of bunch of questions are kind of not so breeding related, more kind of uh, the scene related. And this is kind of an issue which is fairly big in Australia because we're just in the very early stages of setting up our kind of medical model. So my kind of first question would be, how well do you think the American medical cannabis model is working for the patients? You know, do you think it's it's been a net positive, or I hear claims about people saying things are going backwards? You know, what's your ideas on all of this? Well, here, uh, here recently, man, I don't even know if I should say it or not, but like, I just, I just went legit like a month ago. So, I never took the medical thing very lightly. There were a lot of people that were like, well. You can grow, just go up the street and get this medical card. And to me, that was kind of a lie. Like, I'm not going to pretend to grow for a sick person. Like, they're not really sick. I mean, they got an achy back the same way as I got an achy back. You know what I mean? Like, we're all sick in that regard, right? Yeah. But they, so there was that, that whole thing. Now, there are sick people who are genuinely really ill that can use this stuff. And those were the people that I wanted to take care of. So I never in my life had really run into these really, really chronically ill people. Um, mainly because, like, I don't, I don't really get out much, you know. I'm constantly growing. And the way it was in the old days, you don't talk to people, you know. You kept it quiet. So I came in contact with some people here and like they were real sick kids, some sick adults that had uh, multiple sclerosis, cancer, Crohn's, all these horrible, horrible things. So I just started giving them weed like, yeah, man, here you go. So now they're like, oh, man, it's so great. So they're like, why don't you be our caregiver? And I said, you know what? I would love to be your caregiver, man. That would be awesome if I could you know, help you out. Then that makes my day. And then I'm actually doing my job. So the way it went here was there was no like real legal recreational thing. So everybody was like, oh, medical, medical, medical. So these real actual sick people, you know, they were, you know, kind of had people giving them weed or selling them weed or they had a dispensary. So now in the states where it went recreational, Man, a lot of these people, they got thrown to the wayside. Nobody wants to mess with them no more because they went and they got that rec license. And now they're just, you know, kind of shit out of luck. Yeah, so no one's no one cares about the medical patients anymore. Yeah, man, sadly enough. Um, there are places where they still do. Um, and it's kind of hit and miss on an individual basis, too. So... You know, it's it set up pretty good. Um, I don't know. It, it's just it. It really just comes down to the individual, I guess. Yeah. Um, if you're good people, you know, good things. You know, you can do good things for other good people. But just know, like, if y'all get medical going, there's gonna be a lot of rat bastards out there. But 
they're already there anyway. So just uh, I guess the best thing to say is just do the right thing, do what's in your heart, and try to take care of sick people because there are a lot of sick people who do need it. And if you can do a good job, you know, grow some good, clean, organic, good quality medicine for them, man, that's that's a good thing, you know, good thing to do. Good karma on you. Yeah. Thankfully, there are some people in Australia who kind of uh, still look after sick, sick people regardless of the legal status. But uh, I guess in that kind of same idea, um, for, for a country like Australia that is just, you know, about to say kind of legalize things in the foreseeable future, what do you think is maybe some of the traps or pitfalls, you know, some of the ideas that were presented as a, a good idea at first, which now in retrospect you realize were not good things for the states? Right. So that, that's like a big crucial thing. So like a lot of people, they say, oh, wow, you're going to legalize weed. That's great. I'm going to vote yes for it. But really look at what that law says, because like right now in California, they're trying to legalize it there. But legalization with the California market, with the bill that they're, you know, trying to push through, basically makes it worse, really, than it ever did, you know, before it was legal. So, like, now it's like if that were to pass and you get caught with an ounce of weed, hey, you're a felon now, man. Like, they're going to send your ass to prison. Um, So, basically, it's set up for, like, big corporations to control everything. So, like, they'll make it to where you're not allowed to grow your own for yourself. You're not allowed to grow anything for a sick person. They got to go to their local Monsanto growery and buy their cheap dog shit, Eagle 20 ridden spider mite infested crap. You know, so whatever they do put in front of you, just make sure you, y'all read it real good, man, because they, you know, governments are sneaky. I don't know about uh, Australia, but I know in America, you got to watch them suckers, man. They'll, they'll, they'll fuck you any chance they get, man. Yeah. Well, one of the uh, the major arguments or kind of ideas put forward is that uh, legalization will be somewhat similar to tobacco in Australia in that there would be a, a few large companies running it all and very likely the potential of people not being able to grow their own medicine. How do you feel about that idea? Do you think it's kind of intrinsically important for people to be able to grow their own medicines or do you think... Uh, you know, a big Monsanto-type company is adequately able to provide for people. Yeah, so when I worked in Virginia doing, like, engineering and instrumentation and all that good stuff, I used to work for a company. Y'all got Marlboro cigarettes over there, don't you? I think you can get them here. So I used to work for those people. They're uh, called Philip Morris. But um, so with the tobacco industry or any industry for that matter, they're high volume, low quality. I highly doubt you would get anything beneficial from them. Um, Here in the old days, we used to have, basically we call it a swag market. You know, it was illegal weed grown in Mexico mostly, come in a brick, real cheap, pesticide ridden, not very good. Um, to me, those type of places will fill that swag void if they do produce anything at all. But what you can do for yourself at your own home is far superior than anything that you'll be able to buy in a store. So even in this market, like I'm in Colorado right now, if I go to the store, 
looking for weed, man, I'm pissed, dude. Like, it, it's awful looking, man. So, like, what I can just do in my basement will kill anything you'll find in a store around here. So they're not going to put the same amount of love into it as you are. And you're not going to know, like, what did they spray that shit with? And do they pull it too early? Do they pull it too late? Do they even grow what the hell you need, you know, like for your, for your ailments, you know? So if you got Crohn's or whatever and all they got is Girl Scout cookies, you shit out of luck, man. You know, you, you need something, you know, more specific for what you're looking to do. So I would say being able to grow grow your own is huge, you know. And my thought has always been, until they consider cannabis the same as a tomato plant, no regulations, it's a plant as any other plant. Until that happens, I'm not happy. I'm still like, fuck them. You know, I don't like being regulated at all. Yeah. So, fuck these assholes, man. They, you know, plant's a plant, and especially when it's medicinal and good for people. Shame on them for even trying to regulate it, you know? Yeah. So, uh, obviously, you're an organic fanatic like myself. Uh, what's your opinion on organics versus synthetics in terms of, you know, do you think synthetics just reduce the flavor and the terpenes, or do you think it actually reduces the medicinal value compared to organics? Well, <clears throat> that's a good question, man. So, I've seen a lot of hydro weed. Some people can do it good and do it right, and I grew hydroponics myself even you know way back in the day when it was a cash crop thing um you can grow a good product hydroponically but i can grow a better product organically i guess you could say um it still would have a medicinal benefit but you would get more medicinal benefit you know of course from a better product and that being organic um i found that Growing organically, it was less maintenance. It's actually less work. The plants actually grow better and bigger. Um, that used to be the argument of a hydro guy is that, well, you know, you might have a better taste or smell or whatever, but, hey, I yield more. Well, not, not the way I grow organic, you don't. You know, you might meet it, maybe, you know, but I, I, I'll take the Pepsi challenge on that shit, too. So... Um, I, you know, honestly, it's cheaper, it's easier, um, you know, and it's better for you, that's for sure. And you don't have to worry about flushing fucking plants for 14 days to get shit out. Like, it, you know, I'm not going to put nothing in it that, you know, I don't want. So, I don't know, it's just kind of eh, nasty weed. I have one buddy that grows hydro, and he's probably, like, the, mm, the only person I know of that actually does a good job that I would actually smoke. But if he were to grow in organics, shit, man, it'd be that much better, you know? Yeah. He only does it out of necessity, though. Like, a, it's the only way he can grow in his current current situation. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I'm not sure if the idea is as pre prevalent in America as it is in Australia, but currently there's this big trend to kind of push CBD as the uh, the medical component of weed and to push THC as the recreational component. How do, you, how do you feel about this, and do you think it's a bit of a misrepresentation? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, like, if you look at the research, the, so CBD, you know, it prevents, like, the metastasizing of cancer cells. 
whereas THC actually kills the cancer cells. So I actually see them both like you don't want just one, you know, one or the other. You would actually, you want both. Um, and then there's like the medicinal benefit of like terpenes, you know, whether it comes off of a CBD plant or a THC plant, like myrcene and all that good stuff. Like they all have their own, their own medicinal benefit. So, you know, having one without the other, as far as the medicine goes, they're kind of pissing in the wind. So, you know, you, you definitely got to have both, um, you know, and that, not just for cancer, but for anything, anything really pain, um, nerve, nerve damage stuff, um, gastrointestinal stuff, um, depression, you know, there's so many different benefits for the stuff, you know, so. And it's not as simple as just THC gets you high and CBD heals you, you know. Yeah. Um, Even in recreational need, if you want to now call it that, the uh, different cannabinoid profiles change the different high. The perceived high can be greater from uh, a plant that has lower overall THC than another, but its profile more CBG and CBN, yeah. We don't know what that code is yet, but there is definitely an interplay Mm -hmm. of the different cannabinoids that add up to something that's uh, greater than the sum of the parts, basically. And we don't understand how it all works yet, but it's certainly not as simple as just pure THC, just expect that and leave everything behind. That's not going to be the solution. Neither is getting just pure CBD. Yeah, because like you can smoke, say, like a Thai plant, right? Twelve percent THC, right? I can go get an Afghani plant. Twelve percent THC. I smoke that Thai, and I'm like, oh, geez, that's strong, man. I'm gonna gotta go hide. Um, then I could smoke that twelve percent indica and just be like nodding out. So what's the difference? THC is THC. It's the whole profile. It's the THC in combination. The other cannabinoids, the propyl cannabinoids, you know, your THCV and all that good stuff. Um, in combination with, you know, the terpenes, that's what makes a Thai a Thai and a Gany a Gany, you know, and an Indica and a Sativa's differences, you know, and the different um, medicinal benefits of that like you take somebody with like adhd bouncing off the walls man i could give them a nice strong sativa and probably chill their ass out you know whereas i give it to this other dude or myself and i'm like oh jesus man that's too much man (laughs) yeah so touching on that synergy that kind of uh you and mr soul just mentioned we often hear people talk about how they will say you know kind of like your example with that tie or a haze for example you know these strains would never test as high as what strains do today. However, people would often claim there's no ceiling to them. Um, how do you think that gets lost? You know, do you think that's just uh, over time, over hybridizing strains, you lose that or you gain a ceiling in the high? Because a lot of people will claim that you know, new strains have a, a ceiling, you know, whereas some of the older ones mm-hmm. don't, and that was why they were so memorable. There is, there is that. Like there's certain ones that... Yeah, the land race, um, there's something pure in those chemotypes that really doesn't have that ceiling. And if you look at a lot of the old hybrids, like, say, like the Durban Thai High Flyer, that had no ceiling. And you could get so high, you turn white-faced and sweaty and puke. Um, yeah, they, they, were, they were based off of 
land races, you know, Durban, Pinetown, Durban, Sativa, and Pure Thai. Um, they didn't water it down. They had two land races, and they stabilized them well. They paid attention to, to their breeding program, and they didn't accept mediocrity, man. They, they made sure it was strong as shit every time they did it. And, yeah, so you can lose some d- doing some bad breeding practices. Um, the other thing, the, the testing. So, like, you guys over there, y'all see uh, Girl Scout cookies or whatever tests, 35% THC, 40% THC. I'm going to tell you, that's bullshit. The guy that got that tested probably knows the guy at the lab. Or the lab says, hey, if we keep turning out these big numbers for these guys, they're going to keep coming to us to get the testing done, right? So if the guy at the corner is giving you a real test on it, and he's like, yeah, you're at like 18% THC, which is a fucking lot, by the way. Um, guy down the street gives you 32. So now in the market, say like in Oregon, for instance, that's probably like the biggest place I see this problem is that there's guys there like going to the dispensary with weed that says, yeah, this test at 42% THC. Bullshit, man. <laughs> so now the guy at that lab's making a killing because everybody wants to go get tested with him. They get these good numbers. Now at the dispensaries, the whole market is driven by THC percentages. So like you got like an uneducated public. They think THC is the only thing getting you high. So like, we got Apollo 13. At Apollo 13, like on a real, actual, legit test is like, I think it was like 16%. But I'll tell you what, man, my God, that 16% gets me higher than any so-called 30% Gorilla Glue that I've ever had. Um, so, you know, there, there's quite a bit of bullshit part of that. And really, I mean... On a legit test, like my buddy gets his stuff like legitimately tested. The same bud that we could take up and get 35%, it's really only about 22%. So, you know, it's it's a few different few different factors involved in that. And because something's resinous doesn't mean that it's very high in THC. Like you've seen those pictures of that 88 G13 hash plant, right? Yep. And you've seen how frosty that is, right? Covered in snow. Oh, yeah. What do you, what do you think it tests at, THC? Uh, if I had to guess those wild figures, probably 29 or something, 30. Yeah, that's what I used to think, too. Yeah, it's like uh, 19%. Oh, wow. Yeah, I've yep. seen uh, pictures of peyote purple, which is a notoriously low THC percentages, but very frosty. Yeah, man, very frosty, and it's all these other things in it. Like, you know that 88? I don't even like smoking that shit, man. It's too damn strong. <laughs> like, I mean, it just, whew. I mean, it's like a time and place. It's like doing acid or something, man. Like, <laughs> Lock yourself you know, in. there's the right place, the right time, around the right people, um, and it just makes me eat, man. Like, I can't keep fridge with groceries in it, man. I'll be eating <laughs> pizzas and pudding, man, and chips and dip, man, it, it ain't no good. So it's um, good for somebody that had stomach problems, though, you know. Yeah, yeah. So do you think we'll ever get to the point, even with accurate testing and new technology, where we can ever 
quantitatively put the medical value of cannabis on a plant or do you think we're never going to be able to put a number on it you know there's always going to be a synergy and you're just going to have to try you know yeah i think uh part of it part of it i think so like what gets me just completely blistered man like it is just like the best thing since sliced bread for me i could give it to mr soul and he would agree like oh yeah this is very good but something else works for him so i think a lot of it has to do with just the uniqueness of like how our brains are wired and we're all individuals so i think part of it's going to do with that but i do think that you know across like a large enough baseline i can say like 88 g13 hash plant makes me starve and hungry everybody i smoke it with they just want to eat and eat and eat so certain things like that are you know they ring true across the board so as we're starting to kind of like document these things and you know keep our records because like in the old days you couldn't keep records you know um so now we can uh the lady that was getting me all hooked up with all these people that i'm growing for that are real real sick She's got a person that works with the University of Colorado, and he's very, very interested. You know, he's master degree, Ph.D. doctor guy, right? He's very interested in, like, recording all this data that we're coming up with of what works for what. And so it turns out, like, I knew all these people were very sick, but it turns out that their illnesses are kind of like rare illnesses, you know? So it's kind of cool to see what's working for 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 these certain things and then you got more common things like cancer research and you know neuropathy you know uh you know you got in a bad bike accident your nerve endings are all screwed up and what works for that versus the next thing and i really do believe that at the end of the day it's going to come down to the the terpenes the individual terpenes and how they help affect it because like a lot of people think oh, yeah, we're just going to cook. You know, we're going to cook this shit in the butter. Yeah, we're good, bro. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to take them next door and show them them motherfucking monsters. You out of here? Yeah, yeah. You thinking Wendy's? (laughs) All right, Bubba. I'll see you. Yeah, I'm sorry about that. That's all good. All right, Bubba. Um... So, yeah, I think it's going to come down to these terpenes and, like, people say, oh, yeah, you know, I'm going to cook some cannabis butter and that's like a cure-all and, you know, I'm going to give it to this guy and I'm going to give it to that guy. Well, man, when you cook it, it you got high temperatures, man. you go, you go cook all them terpenes off. So by the time we're said and done, we've converted Delta-9 THC to Delta-11 THCs and we got a whole shit ton of CBN now you know, degraded THC, and it's kind of, kind of, just function kind of the same, whether it's Thai or whether it's an indica or whatever. So I think a lot of it really does boil down to, you know, the smells that we're smelling, you know, and how these things help. Like, they just found out, like, uh, the myrcene terpene. You find that a lot in, like, your purple strains, your indicas, right? They work on the same receptors as opiates do. So, like, I had buddies back home, man. They were all hooked on heroin and everything, right? Bunch of dope fiends. I could give them good indicas, man, get them off that dope. One, it helped with their stomach so they ain't throwing up so damn much. 
And two, it's acting on that same receptor as that dope was. So they're not jonesing for the dope. So now they're smoking good indica, and then they're able to kick that heroin. You know what I mean? So, like, there's all types of benefits. Yeah, that's interesting. I've I've heard of people being able to quit heroin with weed, but then you hear about other people who say it's not so effective. So maybe it's just a case of some are getting the right strain for the situation. Exactly. Okay, so um, just kind of on a bit of a different uh, note, if someone kind of asked me to summarize, you know, the kind of the current scene, I would say that we're almost having a, a bit of a renaissance of the past. You know, if you look at people like Frenchy Cannoli bringing back kind of the old hashish forms and then furthermore like we could definitively argue that there's an organic renaissance going on people are really getting back into it um do you do you kind of agree with these trends that we need to go back to the old practices kind of back to basics and look to master the methodology as opposed to develop new technology yeah so so i used to make hash oil back in like 98 99 Made it up to like 2003. Yeah, we used to call it BHO, Butane Honey Oil, a.k.a. Hippie Crack. So I'd make the shit out of it, man. Now, I knew damn well that stuff won't be so good for you, man. And when I'd smoke it, I mean, it gets you gets you good and, good, good and big, but it won't nowhere near as good as some good dry sieve or bubble hash that was made properly. Um... So I think it's it's going to come down to a good blend because, like, there is some pretty cool technology out there now. But if we could kind of integrate some of those old ways into a little bit of our new technology, like take, like, the rosin guys, for instance, right? They're making the rosin now. Hey, that's a pretty good little alternative right there. You know, you don't have any solvents. There's nothing to purge out. Tastes good, smells good, gets you baked. Um, so I think, yeah, if people were to start becoming a little more in tune with like what, what we used to do back in the day before there was, you know, dab rigs and all this shit, you know, you could sit down in your house with the bubble bags and make all the hash you wanted and you didn't have to worry about blowing your house up. You know, you didn't have to worry about some cancer causing damn hydrocarbons up in your shit, you know, and it, it tasted great. You know, it was awesome. That's what you wanted to do. So, like, me personally, man, like, I don't I don't smoke no hash oil, man. I'm probably in, like, the dab capital of the world right now. Dudes around here smoking, looking like crackheads with torches and shit. So, I don't touch it, man. But I will make my own bubble hash. I will make my own dry sieve. I got no problems with that. But I do only, it's kind of like a rare occasion, you know, like, if you're into drinking right you know people drink beers casually you know you and me after work whatever but hey on the weekend time to start doing shots of bourbon or whatever so i kind of think of it as the same way or if like i'm really hurting man my back is tweaked or whatever i can say hey man i'm gonna load up some bong hits or whatever of uh you know this drive and really kick my ass and feel feel like a human again yeah, so it's kind of interesting you say that because in Australia, the concentrate kind of game is just taking off and people are really jumping all over the BHO. Would your kind of uh, advice be to stick to the more solventless types of concentrates if possible? I would. Um, like, I do know some guys that are very good at making uh, BHO, um, but they also have a laboratory and they have Obviously a lot of very expensive <laughs> equipment. 
Yeah, man. It it ain't like blowing through like old stainless turkey basters and some power racks back on the That's back it. porch, right? So um, I would say you got to kind of know where your stuff's coming from because if you're talking to like Joe around the corner, he might not be purging it too good, man, and that ain't good for your lungs. But you might know a guy, you know, a couple miles down the road that does do a good job, and you you can enjoy it. But I would say try some dry sieve. Um, you probably won't see a lot of it in your area. Like, it's never been a big thing even here in America, right? Like, they, you don't really go to the store and say, hey, there's some solventless dry sieve because that BHO is easier to make. But yeah. what you can do is... You can get your grow on, grow your own, and then, uh, you know, get you some dry sieving screens and just make your own. And, like, I mean, it's cool, the little dab rigs and all that. It's too much work for me, but they are cool. And if you got one, you like to do it, you can do it with the dry sieve. All you got to do, man, once you got them heads good and clean and it's nothing but trike heads, you take that, you apply a little heat and some parchment paper, and you pull it off, man, and it looks just like shatter. And you can dab it, and it, it tastes better, and it'll get you way, way, way more fucked up, man. Uh, you don't lose any terpenes doing dry sieve. You know, you don't lose a thing. And it's pure, it's clean, and it's good for you too, man. Yeah, awesome. Yeah, no, you're right. Unfortunately, I've uh, never been able to try any dry sieve, but uh, it's on my bucket list. <laughs> um, so people often talk about this idea of returning to land race roots, you know, do you think this is the case and it will get done? It seems like it's been this idea that's been floating around forever, but no one ever really seems to do it, or at least it never seems to take hold within the community. You know, Do you think we'll just continue hybridizing endlessly? Well, you got... So you look at the mass public, you know, guys that are trying to make seeds and this and that, but the thing with them is most of those guys are chasing a buck. They ain't chasing a passion. So there are some guys over here that are very passionate. Um, a couple friends of mine in California, that's all they do. They don't even sell the seeds. They could. They could sell them and probably make a fortune. But their main thing is preservation, you know, everything from old Colombians and Mexican, Ohakans, uh, Thai and Cambodian, anything, everything you can think of. And they want to make sure that it remains pure and it remains safe in a good seed form. And maybe eventually they will sell them, but they're more into, like, you know, giving them to a guy like me and say, hey, you want to use it in a hybrid or whatever? And I'm like, oh, yeah, you're damn right, man. So I can say that when you do, like, all these guys with the polyhybrids and stuff, I could take something from them, introduce a land race to it, and make it pretty damn potent. There is something to be said for reintroducing a land race back into a hybrid that really does 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 the trick like that grimdica that's a afghani land race right there that's been reintroduced to what you know was a worked hash plant which is like three different really really nice afghani um from different regions of afghanistan that they bred together in a breeding program at sensi to make the old hash plant so I'm just reintroducing land race vigor back into it, and you know you can you can definitely do some damage, man. 
Yeah, great. And so do you think we'll ever see, you know, the the new skunk number one type thing or, you know, the new Northern Lights 5 or do you think we're maybe a bit past those days? Oh, no, man. I know this dude. He's he's working pretty hard around the clock uh, working on those. Um, I would say, what month is it, man? It's uh, Uh, July. July. Yeah, so... I'd say around Christmas time, be looking for uh, looking for a roadkill skunk that'll be coming from Ooh. us. We're growing them out right now. Like earlier, when I was in that bright ass room before I got the rambling on, bitching about Girl Scout cookies or whatever, <laughs> I was in a whole whole room full of uh, uh, different stuff. Uh, we had the roadkill skunk up there. We had the Rosetta Stone, some A13, et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, like that's another one of my big ones. Uh, that was something pretty near and dear to me, like when I was growing up and my cousins had made it and everything. And it's something that I don't know why it, it really isn't around or nobody was on to the same shit we were on to back then. But we're going to bring that back. And that's something definitely people. Hey, do y'all got skunks over there in Australia? <laughs> um, No, no, like the animals. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, we don't animal. we don't have them. <laughs> man, they stink so goddamn bad, man. They will spray and if you hit one on the road, your car will reek. I mean, really reek. Yeah, I've heard the stories. In the region of Virginia I'm from, they're all over the place, man. So we could get away with growing big, 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 huge <laughs> rows of it in the woods because people drive by and go, Oh God, what is that smell? Like, yeah, there's a skunk spraying around here, I guess, man. They don't realize in the back 40, we got like 200, 300 of them girls growing, you know? The perfect cover story. Oh, yeah, it was good. That's awesome. Yeah, so I'm going to have to do it, bring up the dreaded topic for all breeders, feminized seeds. How? What's your thoughts on feminized seeds? I, I could probably guess, but... I think that um, there is a bit of an argument to be made that, you know, a lot of really good clones have come from hermaphrodites, from feminized seeds, you know. So so what's your thoughts? Do they have a place or not in your library? Well, they do. Um, and like anything, like, there's a, like we were talking about filial crossing or back crossing, so there's certain tools that you can use for certain jobs. So with feminized seed there's a right way to do it and then there's the wrong way to do it so the wrong way is like the typical way of just like hey man we'll get some colloidal silver man we'll reverse this sucker and make a bunch of seeds and we'll just throw them out there um there is a a a right way of going about it too um which would basically be like during your first first uh it's not really an outcross, but during your first selfing, where you've hermed this plant onto itself or another mm-hmm. plant, um, our old trick was, you know, you, you grow out a bunch of them, you put them in a room, and about day 28 of flower, you start doing a disco light effect up in there where your light's on, light's <laughs> off, light's on, light's off. And you try to, you know, you'll weed them out. You'll find the ones, like, they'll show pretty quick. Now, out of, like, you know, 100 and something of these females in there, you might find one that will not herm out on you, not easily. That would be one that you would probably want to back cross back to the mother or do it do it like that. Now, when you're when you're feminizing, you're you're cheating yourself out of a chromosome. Um, 
it could be one that's eh, not not so much affecting what we're looking for. You know, it could be a, a structural thing or a color thing or what have you. Um, a lot of the times guys do it, it's cheating out the potency, a lot of it. So I think, like, you can do it good, but you need to have a lot of numbers and you need to run these stress tests or else you're going to be passing that hermaphroditic trait on and you're actually you're going to be cheating yourself out of a, a good chromosome, like potency or something like that. So, like, you can do it, but to me, like, if you do it right, it's more work. <laughs> and, like, I'm not trying to do any more work than I need to. So, um, you know, and there is, like, you know, I was talking to some guys there from Europe and dudes in Spain and down in South America, and, like, they're not set up like, like an America man, like our service, like on a house, like electrical service, you got, like, 200 amps. Like, you know, it's pretty pretty good, man. You can you can grow out a lot of weed, but say in Holland, man, you you're you're getting ready to like blow your breaker panel by having one light, you know? So, um it's very important for these guys to know for a fact, hey, I got females, man, I don't have much space and like it's worth it. And like I can sympathize with that a little bit. So I could see mm-hmm. where a guy wants to do that. Um agricultural guys, let's say like we're so legal that we can grow out fields and fields and fields of weed, 100 acres worth of pot. Um, it would be beneficial that if I could grow from seed each time and throw out all these seeds and know for a fact I don't have any males to call. There will not be any gaps in my rows. I'm going to be good to go. That's pretty cool, too. Mm-hmm. So, And like you were saying, a lot of the, the really good ones came from accidents, man really good accidents you know but accidents nonetheless from a hermaphrodite so you know there is some some things to be said like that chem dog man every time like if that thing gets pissed off and throws out some pollen everything it hits makes a legend man but that's <laughs> just part of the way it breeds man it it breeds that chemotype along with that that hermaphroditic pollen so when it hits something it's god awful potent just like the mom was you know so there's certain ones that will do that, but not all of them do that. So just, you know, that's the only part to keep in mind, I guess. Yeah. So what's your thoughts on um, people using other breeders' genetics? You know, do you kind of frown on people making F2s and then using them for their own projects? Or do you think as long as they kind of ask permission, it's all right? Yeah, the permission thing is is probably like my my one thing. And the way like we do stuff, we actually encourage people to to use our stuff to to help their breeding program along. Our only thing is like just you know give a little a little shout out. You know, don't be like, oh well, Cindy ninety nine or Durban Tie Cindy ninety nine. I'm gonna call it Cantaloupe Hayes now or something like that. And I'm gonna <laughs> just be like, yeah, we just bred that. We made it. You know. Now, if they were to be like, oh, yeah, it's Brothers Grimm, blah, 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 we use this in our program, that's pretty cool, and, you know, I like that. And, like, we kind of saw ourselves as, like, the breeder's breeder, you know. We'll make shit that you would want to breed with, you know, something that would help yeah. you out. So Cinderella 99 is a good example of that. Um, as far as, like, people that make, like, F2s, and they're like, oh, yeah, I got these uh, Grimdica F2s, $20 a pack. <laughs> You know what I mean? Now, that that pissed me off a little bit. I'd be looking to kick that dude's ass. Yeah. But, um, you know, um, it's, it's, 
I guess like I just see a lot of like very ununique people out there that do this stuff. And I just, I guess I would say, like, I wish they would, like, do some of their own work and not really just ride off other people's work. Because, you know, it is, it is a lot of work if you if you are going the original route, whether you're snatching up land races from, you know, different parts of the world or, you know, putting a lot of work into something. Um, it does take work. But, uh, you know, some people, they, they take that shortcut. But when I see a seed company that, say... Their whole menu is, you know, TGA Subcool's uh, Agent Orange crossed to um, JJ's Star Dog, and then they just throw a name on it. Isn't and then that their whole all menu too common? Is, oh man, all over the place, man! And like every time I just see it, I shake my head, man. Like shame on you, you unoriginal bastards. So you know that part kind of bothers me. And they don't really put in the work either. They're just kind of like sprouted a 10-pack, got two males. That one looks good. That one looks good. Fuck it. Make some seeds. Make some money, you know. And then they just end up polluting the gene pool worse than it already is. You know, they didn't improve nothing. They didn't really make nothing new. And they just kind of screwed around. Now, I do have friends that have like, you know, they're like, uh, what do you call it? Like a closet, you know, closet breeders, right? But the difference between them and these guys, well, they ain't selling them. They're just goofing around, having fun in the basement, and just growing shit out for fun. You know, that's a different thing. Yeah. But when you're putting in a pack and you're putting a label on it and you're charging people for money and you're showing, you know, some picture or something in a description that ain't nowhere near like what it is, man, that's Fugazi, bro. Like, that, that ain't cool. Yeah. yeah. So kind of on that same topic of ownership, I've been hearing a little talk about uh, patenting of strain names, patenting of strains recently. You know, are you able to maybe shed some truth on it? There seems to be a lot of rumors, um, but from what I've heard, it seems like the end of the cannabis community from what some people are talking. It seems a bit ridiculous. Yeah, it is, man. There's one thing you know about stoners, man. They're paranoid and they like to... uh like to have their little conspiracies and things. So uh, <clears throat> a while back, I uh, talked to a guy that was doing like a genome project, and I was giving him all these samples of all these different things out of the collection, and like, okay, well, you know, tell me something I don't know. Like, you know, I'm going to give you, say, this uh, triangle kush right here, and I'm going to give you this OG kush, and then I'm going to give you this chem dog, and I want you to tell me, like, are they related or where do they come from? And I'm going to give you these land race Afghanis. Do, do any of them show hot from coming from this region and stuff like that? And, you know, it's pretty, pretty cool stuff. And I was like, so, you know, when you map this, this, this plant, can you give me a piece of paper saying, you know, this is what it is. This is a very unique genotype here. You can't replicate this. Um, you know, when the patent office opens up, can I patent this? The answer is no. Unless you genetically modify something, you can't patent it. So that's how, like, Monsanto does what they do. They genetically modify potatoes, soybeans, and shit. So now they're able to patent those things, right? But they can't patent the soybean. And we can't do it the, the same way with cannabis, you know? So, like, my question was, like, well, what if I get land races from all parts of the world can i patent these so that way 
when Monsanto does come around, hey, I done beat these assholes to the punch, and maybe I'll sue them, and we'll we'll have a big ass bonfire <laughs> in their office buildings or something, you know? So they were like, no, nah, it doesn't work that way. So unless you genetically modify it to make it unique, you can't patent it. So mm. that uh, now the the name, so the name game, yeah, you can you well, I don't know about abroad or nothing. But in America, you you can patent a name, you know, like a brand name, like Coca Cola yeah. or. Whatever, I heard the right? the Chemdog name had been patented or something along those lines. Yeah, man. Yeah, he ended up doing it. Uh, us and some buddies, man, we were talking. We we're like, you know, a lot of people use your name and make a lot of money on you, and you're sitting at the house broke. Which, by the way, like if y'all think like Chemdog's like some big high roller. You know, making all this money, you see his weed everywhere. Nobody gives him shit. Like, you know, me, JJ, a few of the crew, you know, the Kim family crew, you know, we always help out, right? But a lot of these guys, they're claiming to breed with Kim Dog. 99% of them, it ain't, it ain't even real Kim Dog. They're just using a name. Mm-hmm. Also, they, they, you know, even if they do, they don't, they don't kick anything back to the guy. So we're like, well, you know, these guys make all this money using your name let's put an end to that you know because maybe one day soon the time is going to come to where these patents do make it make a difference and what happens if some jack off patents your name yeah and now we're getting sued for growing shit that you know we help you know get to this point. using his own name so, yeah man and people hey man i'll tell you a funny story this dude was on instagram man we just chewing his ass he ended up he he trademarked or patented uh kim fam you believe that shit what yeah yeah man and then we were telling him like bro you can't do that shit and he was like oh yeah yeah i can i got the patent i'm like man you fixing to get your ass whooped son (laughs) so everybody's just like yeah when we see you man we're gonna take care of this so anyways uh the guy gets scared and he's like hey don't want no problems. I paid like three hundred bucks to have this done. Give me three hundred bucks, and it's yours. So we got the money up and made sure that our our man's got that too. But I mean, people are people are crazy, man. Especially Americans, man. A bunch of crooked, shisty mm. bastards, man. That's why I want to. I'm gonna come live over there with y'all, man. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you'd have to say goodbye to all that beautiful clones. Nah, I know how to get them over there. <laughs> that, ain't, that ain't no problem. <laughs> then you're all set. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, no, so... I um, my man, Australian, uh, Australian wife or something, man. She'd give me a green card or whatever. Oh, uh, you wouldn't need to buy it. Don't worry. I think she'd love your accent. Sweet. <laughs> Game. Find um, me one of them surfers, man. Them surfer chicks, bro. <laughs> Yeah, so um, I was about to say, if you're willing to, you know, would you be willing to talk a little more about Chemdog? You know, like he's kind of a really illustrious yeah. figure in the industry. You know, um, as you pointed out, you know, a lot of people probably do assume he gets, you know, some kind of kickbacks from people using his stuff, or just you know somehow intimately tied to some kind of financial gain from the seeds. You think he's just more of you know a mellow guy? Like I know he used to breed. Is he kind of stopped doing that? Yeah. So. Um when I got out of prison, so I went in February 2007, then I get out like around uh, November 2009. 
So, like, I'm playing it cool, you know? Like, I'm like, all right, I'm getting out, man, DEA, they're probably still watching me. They don't think they got what they wanted. They think I'm high rolling in some money, which I won't, but whatever they want to think. So, I'm like, I'm not going to contact nobody. Because if I do contact somebody and they are watching, I'm going to lead them right to my friends and my family. And I ain't going to have that. I just got through pulling all that time for not running my mouth. So, you know, I'm just going to chill. So I get done with my probation and I I traveled to uh, Arizona. It's like middle, like the desert out in, uh, in America. It's like middle, south, middle part of the country, you know. So I get out there with an old friend from Florida. He was the East Coast guy with me. And um, we just got to talking. I'm like, yeah, fucking, you know, how's old G doing? You keep in contact with him. And he was like, yeah, you know, talk to him a little bit. I'm like, yeah, man, we, we ought to get a hold of him, you know, just, you know, catch up. So we go. And, um, I mean, it's like the next day. And we see the damn news strip popping up. He got busted dude snitched on him oh so now i don't have it on paper and like there's really not like a whole lot of proof but you know who res dog is reservoir seeds i was kind of avoiding bringing his name up in relation to ken yeah i know right fucking do the old fucking yeah fucking ex like a vampire man so that joker he gets popped and starts running his mouth man gypsy nirvana a bunch of dudes go down right around the same time he knew where G lived, um, you know, had, had, had hung out with him before. Anyway, now G's popped. You know, he, he's going away. So we're like, well, fuck me, you know. So don't uh, don't hear from him, you know. And, like, I'm in Arizona. I end up going back to Virginia and doing my thing there. And I'm just, you know, staying quiet. And then, um, so basically, you know, I hung around Virginia for my for my parents, you know, they were really old when they had me, and uh, they weren't doing too good. So anyway, when my father passed away, I said, you know what, I don't like living here no more. I'm tired of getting hunted down like an animal. I'm getting the fuck out of here. I'm driving straight to Oregon. So I drove all the way to Oregon, man. Second I touched down, call up Subcool. I'm like, hey, what's up, man? Made it all the way out here. Got all my old clones. Got the whole shit. Let's do let's do something cool, man. So he's like, "Hey, man, you want to get a job working with the cannabis people? You need to start an Instagram." And I'm like, "An Insta what? Like, I'm not a big technological dude, you know? Like, you can probably tell." So I'm like, "All right, fuck it. I'll start up an Instagram." And sure enough, old G hits me up, Kim Dog Glass. And I said, "Oh shit, awesome, man! I didn't know if he was in the joint, out of the joint, or whatever." So get to talking, he was like, "Yeah, you know, everything's all right, but they took my house, man. They find me like seven hundred thousand dollars, man, and ain't got no money." So I started taking up glass blowing again. And back in like oh oh five oh six, he tried to get me all of his glass blowing equipment, and I told him no. I said, "You might end up needing it again one day." <laughs> and thank God he didn't, because now he's fucking blowing glass with it. That so he's. Yeah, so he's still back in Massachusetts just blowing glass, man. And, by the way, if y'all want some real cool, old-school, heady glass, man, hit him up. It's uh, Kim Dog, and it's spelled D-O-G, by the way. Everybody's at D-O-D-A-W-G, 
That ain't the way to spell it. So it's C-H-E-M-D-O-G underscore glass. And, uh, yeah, he make he makes some real, real nice stuff, man. Yeah, Old everyone needs to headed. go and pay their respects and buy some glass from Camdog. Yeah, he'll he'll hook it up, man, and he he puts a lot of little millies in it, you know. So, like y'all y'all got y'all seen South Park over there, right? Yep. The cartoon. Yeah, yeah. Like he's got a bunch of shit from that, man. Like he made me a little bowl. It's got a towelie on it and stuff, <laughs> and Homer Simpson, and you know we were all big Deadheads too. So you know a lot of a lot of Grateful Dead stuff on there too. Yeah, I was about to say I've just uh, organized to get my uh, my Chem Family shirt through Heddies and Heirlooms the other day, so I'm excited to get it. Nice. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude! Yeah, they're good. They're good shirts too, man. I got my Peabod shirt on today. Ah, uh, nice. <laughs> it's all worn <laughs> out and shit. Yeah, but uh, yeah, man. Yeah, they're 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 all good people, and we weren't like we're not like. Everybody always saw like, oh yeah, y'all like some rich motherfuckers, like some real high rollers. Man, at the end of the day, we just a bunch of like broke ass, dirty ass, deadheads, man. They just like we just love growing weed, man. It's just yeah. like a passion. So we're not any famous star, high roller, whatever. You know, we're just a bunch of farmers that like growing weed and believe in what we're doing. You know, and we like to help people, and you know. Yeah. Spread the love, if you will. There ain't enough love in this world. Too much hate. Yeah, I can totally agree on that one. So does Kem kind of keep out of the limelight due to his uh, kind of notoriety nowadays and he just sticks to the glasswork? Is that kind of why he stopped breeding? Because I know that he made things like, you know, the geezel and stuff like that. Yeah, he had the, the geezel. He had the dog days. Um, there was the snow dog. Um, yeah, the that, snow that dog. That was back in the good old days, man, like where we were just – having fun man and um you know the 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 laws and the the cops man they they put a they put a quick end to that and like myself um if they were to come through the door right now well actually now i'm all protected so i tell them to suck my dick but (laughs) but like last month if they were to come through the door i was looking at like 15 to 20 years man and same same goes for him I think they got medical where he's at, but, you know, he's trying to keep it down low and, yeah. you know, just kind of mellow out. And maybe, you know, when some more laws change or whatever, you'll see him see him out and about a bit more. But, you know, he's a family man. He, yeah. You know, he's got his kids and he's got his old lady that tries to keep him out of trouble and, you know, <laughs> that whole deal. So, yeah, man, but real good dude. Um, like I say, he's real, real into his glass blowing, too. He used to blow glass on dead tour and sell them out in the out in the parking lot oh really so yeah yeah man yeah he's been doing this shit long time man that's really cool um and so i guess my ultimate question would be have you ever spoken to him about uh what he plans on doing with those remaining seeds oh man the the, the dea took them really yeah i've never read yeah, that yeah they're in the yeah, they're in an evidence room somewhere, man. Um, yeah, yeah, they they took them bastards. But um, I think this is groundbreaking. I, I don't think this. No one knows about this. Oh yeah, man. Yeah, they, when they come and got him, they got his seed collection, his clones, and all. But we um, collectively, you know, we've kept all of our own seed breeding, old seeds, clones, and 
we got it all we got it stored away and he he's uh he's well set and then yeah. um plus you know the 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 mother plant that produced these chem dog seeds um yeah so it, it'll be all maybe. good yeah you could say that so we um you know fuck them you know they whatever they take man we'll build it bigger and better than we had it before you know so yeah. they, ain't, they ain't gonna stop shit yeah, that's a huge thing I say to anyone. As soon as they find something unique, you need to delocalize it because it's just too risky to hoard things. And, you know, I always use the example of uh, the alien technology strain. As much as it might have been a bit of a fad, you know, it doesn't exist anymore because the guy who found it didn't give any cuts out and then he lost it himself. Yeah, man, I know that guy too, man. I remember yeah, when he sprouted obsolete. the seed. Yeah, yeah, that's him. Um yeah, I remember. Like they're just land race Afghani's, man. That's yeah. all. It, that's all it was. And I uh, found a good boy. I remember he showed me pictures of it when it was real little. Man, it had the cod leadens and like one set of leaves growing out, and it had fucking frost on it like a bud. I was like, <laughs> oh shit! And then that's the one he used. Called it the Alien Tech, and you know it does good. That's what I was saying. There's a lot to be said about you know you introduce land race to a hybrid, right? You can you can do some pretty cool stuff, man. Yeah, for sure. So, kind of the last of the more extended questions. Uh, what do you think is the best way for a kind of a community to grow if it's in its infancy? So, in, in reference to, say, Australia, we don't really have clones that get passed around. I'm sure there are people with high-quality clones, but we don't have a scene really. You know, that's something we're trying to establish. What do you think is the most important, do you think? Do you think it would be trying to get, you know, get people to be passing genetics around and from their strains will develop? Or do you think maybe try to work on getting the legalization model and then you've got a bit more room to work within there? So what, what I guess, guided us back in the day is like when everything was illegal as can be, it was the passion and all that driving us to make something better or like we find something cool, man, we keep hold of it. And then, like, you know, you meet guys, you know, you're on Grateful Dead tour, you know these guys a couple years, they they grow killer weed, you grow killer weed, you trust each other, and you're like, hey, man, I got this awesome roadkill skunk, man. You want it? You can hold on to it for me in case something happens. I can come back and get that back from you. And they're like, yeah, cool. Well, I got this really awesome Afghani. Do you want this? And Absolutely. And that's, it's like starts off as a slow network, and then... From that, you know, I might have that Afghani and then call him up in a year and say, hey, man, I was fucking around, grew some roadkill seeds and pollinated your Afghani. Here's some seeds. He grows it out, finds another clone. Then he might have another buddy. Here's this clone. And it really starts off slow. And clone trading up until, I guess, the real legalization was going on, like with the medical and all that, it won't. It won't really a whole lot of people trading a whole lot because trust issues and you and you didn't want to like let people knew, know you grow like the so like the old forums like overgrow and stuff like that you know we did a little bit of trading because you could maintain your anonymousness a little bit you know yeah so like for the longest time you know a name like Duke Diamond you think I probably look like a pimp you know what I mean gold <laughs> chains and you know what I mean. So it was an alias. Of, uh, I just tried to make the opposite 
of what I look like and who I am. <laughs> so, you know, like this to me, like years ago, this would have been nuts, man. Like nobody knew my face. Nobody knew where I was from or what I talk like or none of that. Yeah. So as the things progressed, you know, these dispensaries open up, they start selling clones and, you know, people are openly trading a little bit more. It kind of starts like a wildfire, man. It gets out of control quick. But the problem is you get a lot of illegitimate cuts. Like a guy's like, hey, man, I got this sour diesel, right? And it ain't sour diesel at all, you know. And But it gets passed around to 150 people that all swear to God, this is sour diesel. I paid $100 for this cutting. Or my buddy wouldn't lie to me. You know, that whole, whole yeah. gig. So I would say now, like in your in the infancy of it over there, just keep growing from seed, find your really exceptional stuff, and just hang on to them, you know. And um, as y'all get more and more, and you get that more community thing, where whether it's a forum or y'all are so far along to where we can all go down to the park at like some cannabis rally or whatever, and you meet people and. You know, just treat it like you would anything else. Like if you grew tomatoes in your vegetable garden and your neighbor's cool and he's into it too, you know, hang out, man, and, you know, help each other along. Yeah, man. So basically, don't shy away from giving people you trust things that you want to hang on to. Yeah, like I always said, it's good to have a good backup guy. Now, your backup guy, like if you're in, like, the breeding world, you don't necessarily want to pass things out because it's like giving out the Coca-Cola secret. You don't want everybody to have it, you know? But there were certain things I made that, man, I wanted everybody to have it, you know? So, you know, pick and choose um, on kind of what goes out there. But I will say this. um, People are people. And um, if you don't want something to ever get out there, never give it to a single soul. But be prepared if something happens and you lose it, you done lost it. So, yeah, you know, it's just kind of one of them deals too. Yeah, for sure. So uh, for the last little part, I was just uh, hoping we could just do some kind of more lighthearted, short, random questions, just maybe novelty interest to people. Um, so the yeah. first one is, if you could go back to Pantene. one. Pantene. I use Pantene, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Good looks, conditioner. It's looking good. <laughs> oh, yeah, man. It's solid. Um so if you could go back to one place and one time in history to get some land race seeds, where would you pick and, you know, what era? I'd be in Afghanistan and I'd be in Lebanon from, like, the 70s, man. Right before 1978 when the Russians tried to invade Afghanistan, I'd be all over that bitch. Back I'd when the hippie the trail was open? Huh? Back when the hippie trail was open? Yeah, man, exactly. And I'd be I'd be rounding up stuff from there. Um, I would have probably done that. And uh, hell, man, uh, anywhere in Thailand, if I if I knew I won't gonna get caught and like executed by a firing squad for finding some seeds, I'd probably be all over that place. Um, but yeah, primarily like Lebanon, Afghanistan, Pakistan, right along that Hindu Kush mountain range. Yeah. So uh, next yeah. one, what's uh, what's the worst thing to happen to the scene since you've been involved in it, in your opinion? What's the worst thing, you said? Yeah. <laughs> man, where do I start? Um, I don't know, man. I would say 
Shit, man. Where to start? Um, <laughs> you can throw right, a few out so if you want. I would say um, when legalization happened, you had a lot of rich people with money just looking to score more money. They don't know shit about what they're doing. The quality went down. The prices go up. And they just screw the whole game up for everybody. And they don't know shit. They're like the number one problem for like misinformation. I went into this one store just to have a good laugh at what was in there. And Bubba Kush, man, it was the shittiest looking weed I've ever seen. And they say, yeah, it's Bubba Kush, man. It's bubblegum cross with Kush. I was like, yeah, <laughs> you don't say, you know. And like you'll hear, yeah, Kim Dog, man, that's some this and this crossed together. And we made it here in our shop. Like, yeah, okay, cool. So that that's one. Um, two, I would say, uh, like High Times Magazine, man. They're they're yeah, terrible. They're they're it's just nothing but just bullshit. Long time ago, it used to be full of like a lot of good grow information and good stuff, and now it's like, what's the latest rapper rapping about? And you know bunch of titties and ass and advertising you know most of the magazines advertisement for really shitty seeds at shitty seed banks that you know it's not good and then if you do get a little information it's buried underneath some interview with some rapper who doesn't give a shit about medicine or cannabis community or whatever he's just concerned with money and making songs and they glorify people like that um there's like certain ones even they they were informants man they were snitches these people were like pieces of shit and they're sitting there glorifying this guy in a magazine and you know and like they they're killing us and they don't care about us but you know they're gonna they're gonna do that because of the money so the guys are really just chasing the money they forgot about the passion and the real reason why we do what we're doing you know so that's definitely a real bad one um and then yeah the the the, the, the pollution of the gene pool is a pretty bad one. That's been going on for a while, but I'd say in the last two, three years, it's just gotten real ridiculous, you know? So those, those are probably my top three, top three uh, groans and moans. Yep. Okay. Um, so who's a breeder who you would love to see the Brothers Grimm do a collaboration with? Mm. So we got, uh, we got two that are coming up. Oh, they're getting ready to get started. Yeah, man, you got one with uh, Top Dog Seeds, and we have two favorites. uh, Yeah, and Swamp Boy Seeds too. So they're two uh, two friends of mine, Cornbread Ricky and uh, JJ. So we'll we'll definitely be doing those two for sure. Um, If I had anybody else, um, my mind's kind of going blank, but you you can definitely. Be sure we'll we'll be doing some more cool stuff uh, with other people, but um, yeah, those two right off the top of my head, we're definitely doing those. So we'll have like a little triangle Kush Cindy ninety nine hybrid and a Star Dog C ninety nine hybrid. Oh, awesome! So, uh, yeah. what's your current favorite strain, and what's your favorite strain of all time? <laughs> Damn, that's a tough question, Bubba. Um, God, well, ah, shit, man, that's tough, dude. That's <laughs> a million dollar question. Uh, you, you're a tough man, man. 
Um, I don't know. I would say I can I can give you like a top ten. Yeah, sure. Start throwing ones for certain things. So I would say like um, for daytime, like I need to do work and shit like that. I'd say like the Cinderella ninety nine, the Apollos. You know, those would be definite favorites. Um, for just getting stoned as shit, man, I would say Kim Dog. You know, hands down, uh, without a doubt. Um, if I want to feel weird, like trippy weird, man, like Durban Tie, High Flyer, the DTC ninety nine stuff along those um, flavor and like just put me out, knock me out to sleep. You know, I would say uh, Hash Plant, that eighty eight Hash Plant. Those are definite, definite winners. And for flavor, I have uh, this thing. I've, you've seen it, uh, Local H. That yeah. um, It's more sour than sour diesel. So for flavor and stuff, I would say that. And like Triangle Kush, too. Triangle gets me fucked up, though, man. I get real high, man. I'm yeah. not going to lie. I did. Uh, I don't get much done. <laughs> <laughs> I did actually spend quite a while Googling Local H, trying to figure out what it was. <laughs> So there was a band in America, uh, like y'all, y'all probably heard it. That you know what I'm talking about, Local H. They had a song called Eddie yeah. Better. Yeah, I found the band. Yeah. I was trying to find weed references. Oh yeah, 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 man. Well, see, like I never, I never uh, really let that out. I had one buddy back home. He was a hermit. He don't leave the house for nothing. And um, when I was rounding my clones back up, he was the only guy I ever gave it to because I know. He don't talk to people, man. He talks to, like, animals and trees and shit. He don't leave the house. So I know it ain't going nowhere, not off of that property at least. So I give it to him, go back years later, man, and he's still doing the same shit, man, growing the same strains under the same equipment, and everything's good and kept, and I got her back. And um, So back in the day when we, when we originally made it, when we were growing it out, we were like, wow, this shit is killer. And we were playing that, lo- we had Local H, to a CD, as, the, as good as dead, you know. Anyway, it's playing on loop, you know. We've done dried it and cured it and smoke it. And, like, there was a line in the song, like, you just don't get it. And I was like, yeah, motherfuckers ain't going to get this, man. We're keeping this one in-house. <laughs> so they get the bud, but they ain't getting this. So we ended up calling it Local H. Nice. Fitting name. Um, yeah. So, kind of on the opposite end of the spectrum, and feel free to list a few, what is your favorite, uh, sorry, your most hated uh, strain slash what are some of the worst in your opinion? (laughs) Mm, How long you got? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let's see. Man. Man, that's a tough one too. Um, I'm I'm not real big on Girl Scout cookies. Or any of its hybrids. Um, all the fake sour, all the fake chem dog, I, I hate that. Um, let me think. Nastiest weed, nastiest weed. I don't know, Sensi Seeds, man, they put out some fucking garbage now, man. Like, <laughs> yeah. it ain't like it was in the 90s and 80s. Um, There's stuff now, man, that shit's atrocious, man. We had this yeah. shit here in America. Uh, the Canadians were growing it. It was called Beasters, man. And Beasters, it looks like it's thick old wet nugget. and not a damn trichome on it. It ain't got no... It actually does have a smell. It smells like hay. 
And um, this shit was dirt cheap. You could get it, like pounds were cheap, sell it to dumb college kids, make a couple bucks. But it was worthless weed. It was so nasty. It was so bad we even had shirts that said, friends don't let friends smoke beasts. <laughs> so that one was pretty bad. So like most of like what Scentsy Seeds grows out now it reminds me of the beast. The beast yeah. Fuck that so shit. A lot of what you get commercially available in Australia is pretty uh, similar to the beasters from what I've heard. It's it's not good at all. Yeah, it looks like uh, very orange looking hair, like it got pulled about two weeks too early. Super dense, but no resin. Smells like hay. Doesn't get you high. Yeah, Maybe, one of, one of our know, big problems headache. is uh, the use of uh, plant growth regulators. It's uh, it's really predominant, and yeah, it's just horrible for the scene. Yeah, man. And the whole like the whole deal is, man, is like like it it, it just starts off real small. Like uh, what's that fucker? Uh, T.S. Eliot, the fucking poet. You know, he had the whole thing. Uh, it doesn't start uh, with a bang; it starts with the whimper. Yeah, the you know? slippery slope. So, it really is, man. So, if you get some good seeds, get getting over there. <laughs> I'll hook y'all up, man. Um, <laughs> and you get some, you get some good, uh, some good grow technology. And the best way to do it, I used to do this with, when I was doing uh, solar panel engineering. Is if you learn one. You do one, and you teach one. So if everybody takes that approach, like you learn some good-ass soil methodologies, man, you grow out some killer weed, you turn on your friend to it and say, hey, smoke this shit. And when they're like, man, how'd you do that? You're like, hey, man, let me show you how easy it is. But I'm going to show you, but in return, when you get done chopping, you need to show a friend. And then they, in turn, show a friend. And within a year, you'll have a pretty big organic good killer weed market going on there man that just starts with good genetics and you know a good good foundation of you know organic growing skills which i mean it's really easy it's not even not even that hard man i mm. you know my dumb ass can do it anybody can do it you know what i mean yeah i think that's what's surprising is like how much easier organic is and yet somehow it's so like hydroponic is so much more prevalent yeah, man. Like, I mean, shit. Like, these fucking plants. Man, I think I got enough battery, man. We're going on a tour. <laughs> so, all these plants in here, man. This dirt is, uh, let me think. This is over a year old dirt, man. Like, I haven't amended it. I ain't done shit. And look at all these motherfuckers, man. I mean, nice, big, no deficiencies, man. They're Gorgeous. Nice, healthy, and green, you know, just happy as can be and i mean it's simple simple man all i do you know just give them tea you know every two weeks and you know there's no deficiencies in this shit you know they're nice and nice and stout and bushy and there's that 88 right here oh gorgeous but, uh, yeah man and i mean it's super simple it's purple urkel oh. yeah big old bushy thing yeah i don't think i've ever seen one that big <laughs> Oh, yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> Sorry, dude, I had to get you, man. <laughs> nah, it's Fucking, uh, yeah, man, so, yeah, this big old purple Urkel. There's that Jack Hare I was telling you about. See how tall and lanky that fucker is, man? <laughs> He's certainly yeah. not Indica. Yeah, definitely not, man. But, uh, man, it throws some big buzz. So this is the genius right here. Ah. Uh, the mother of all the Apollos and stuff. 
And do you guys then, keep uh, um, the genius and the princess on fairly tight lockdown? Oh yeah, man, absolutely. Like, yeah, we never really, really got that out. There's a couple of people that uh, held on to it as backup, but they're kind of the same deal. They're hermit types. They don't really associate with other other people. So, yeah, yeah. this is the princess right here, right beside the genius. I said, uh, I'm sorry, they're all kind of hacked up from taking clones, but. I was about to yeah, say, is man. it because of the clones, or do they have quite a different structure? Like the uh, the princess looks to be, you know, more kind of Christmas tree ish. Yeah, exactly, man. So like that just goes to show people, like you can take one little gene pool, man, and man, you could go on infinitely working that thing. You know, you don't need a million strains. Like we can work, fuck, probably fifty different variants just off in one plant. Even though like this princess and this genius, they're sisters. But they grow totally different, man. Like you said, Christmas tree and then that long, kinky, kinky kind of branch thing going on, you know? Yeah, that shrub, I love that shrub structure. Yeah, man. But yeah, like, and you know, like when when one of these moms, like, gets too big, like a Cindy, we just took some clones off of her, we're going to retire this mom. So over here, we got all these clones getting ready to grow. Yeah. So what happened? We'll take the healthiest one, and then I'll come back over here. You see that big-ass trunk on that sucker, man? We'll chop her off. I'll cut a little hole out right here, yep. and I'll drop that clone right back in there and just give it water, and I'll grow another one of these. Yeah, that's awesome. Same dirt, same pot, same everything, man. So, like, this, that just happened not too long ago with this one. There's a gooey. So, ah. That's yeah, it. Dropped it right back into the same pot. Yeah, the gooey is a strain which uh, not not many people seem to know about her, in my opinion. Yet it's certainly one which should get more attention. I think. What's your opinions on her? Yeah. Oh, it's killer, dude. I, there ain't nothing on earth more pineapple than that thing. And it's oh, really? like it's really killer. Yeah, very potent gooey breeder. He's like he's like one of them unknown breeder legends, man. Really yeah. good dude. Knows how to do his thing and. Um, just gets overlooked by people, and I don't know why, but yeah, super killer, man. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah, and all these just, like I said, they just went right back into another pot. This is a strawberry diesel coffin cut right here. This would be like one of our new releases. Uh, it's getting hit with Cindy 99, and we're making it's called the Ice Coffin. So <laughs> that'll be a hybrid coming, and we'll have the sour diesel bean pole. So that's how a sour diesel clone grows right there. Jesus. <laughs> so anybody gets those and they look like little indica plants, they're full of shit. So yeah, it's big old tall bean pole. And this is uh, one of our males. Uh, see how thick that is for a male, man? Gee, that's such a beautiful structure. Yeah, man. That's our new Cindy male. One uh, out of a thousand. Is that the one I um I saw on the Instagram, which is the uh the kind of the genius phenotype? No, nah, that's uh, that was another one. Um, that was our P seventy five. Oh so yeah, sorry, my 70%. mistake. Yeah, man. Oh, you're all good. Uh, that one's. Like I said we keep them kind of hacked up so they're not the prettiest, but yeah, that was that one. It's kind of hard to see the the whole. Oh, you can uh, see he's got great branching. Yeah, man. So yeah, man. Like we got we got males and males and males and. 
and most people throwing them away, but that's another male. And there's that Apollo 11 mom. <laughs> oh, nice. Little sativa thing. Yeah. So, so just, like, I mean, you know, like, if you take, like, a, say, 11, it's genius. And then you got uh, um, Cinderella 99 as a male. So you see this plant, you know, see that sativa leaf and everything. And you've seen the buds on Instagram. And yep. it smells like ripe red grapefruit and tastes like gummy bears, right? So then you take oh, over here. Sounds divine. This is a public- so this Apollo 13, this is uh, uh, P75, which is the precursor to Cindy 99. So it's 75% princess, whereas C99 is 94%, right? So yep. that little percentile difference gives you a totally different plant. This thing smells like skunk's ass and mango and tastes like fuel. So just, you know, just from that slight, slight change, man. So it's pretty, and you can see it's got a wider leaf. You know, it's uh, the little bit coming through from the Shiva skunk, which is skunk in 05. So, you know, just off of one little change, man, you, you end up with a whole lot of difference, man. Yeah, so when you guys um, started making these again and you decided to reuse the P75 genetics, for example, was that because you kind of thought that um, the genetics were proven and it was worth using them? And, you know, maybe, you know, for example, the uh, I believe it was a Shiva skunk male Mr. Soul originally used, you know, was the kind of idea that, you know, like that was a really good male, it was a solid foundation to work from? Or was it more so just kind of saving some time thinking, you know, like why make P50 again and work it out when we could just start from P75? Yeah, so we know that like the P75 generation that, certain things were were able to happen with that generation it um it tended to not over dominate the mother so much so it made like more sense to use it in f1 outcrosses like say um you know rosetta stone for instance right we can use that we add some speedy, nice, you know, influences and everything, but we don't, like, overwhelm what we're really liking. We like the mom. That's why we're using her to make this F1 outcross. So if we like her, you know, we want to add, like, some cool shit to it. You know, we'd like to improve it, but we don't want to, like, over-dominate it. Now, if we want to really make something really new and, like, over-dominant or, you know, um, make something kind of completely different, We'll use that Cinderella 99, and then that actually, you know, does its thing. And the main reason is just the way that P75 passes its gene pairs along and the frequencies of those gene pairs, it makes it like a real good dad for making some unique F1 stuff, but at the same time kind of remaining true to mama, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. It makes perfect sense. So, um, I mean, just looking at the garden, I mean... Uh, obviously people will get to see when they're watching this um you know the plants look fantastic what's kind of the the biggest thing you notice when you walk into someone else's garden what's you know what's the big mistake most people seem to be doing or you know just a common one you kind of come across <clears throat> they water too much overwatering. um i have they, to admit um, i'm a bit guilty eat, of that myself the, yeah the overwatering. um it's a real fine line. If you're doing organics and you got real good microbial life, it's actually really hard to overwater them to the degree where they're like adversely affected, you know? Um, 
if you use smart pots, you know them fabric fabric yep. pots. Yep, yep. Yeah, man, those are the shit. You get like thirty percent more yield in them socks too, man. Really? And uh, you you can't really overwater them too much. Like they'll they'll, they'll dry out pretty good because they breathe real good. But um, I like to you know like I'll water, but you know I'll feel them out. Like if I can't like if I lift that pot up and you know the weight in the bottom, like it looks dry, man. But you can feel that weight in the bottom. Let her ride another day until she's kind of lightening up a little bit. And I like to go <clears throat> every two weeks. So like let's say like that room I was just showing y'all. Um, you know, this is day one. I watered them yesterday. So, like, I mean, they're good and hefty, right? <clears throat> um, I'll let them get to where, like, I feel that weight in the bottom because I know, like, those roots from the transplant haven't made it all the way to the bottom. But when I water them again, I'm only going to water them about enough to dampen up that top two-thirds again, right? Just to keep the plant going. And then, like, I kind of maintain that for about two weeks, and then I let it come to not totally dry, but that pot's pretty damn light. Most people are freaked out. But you'll notice, man, the, the leaves will be up there praying just like that, you know. Um, that lets you know they're, they're happy, man. So then, you yeah. you know, you give them water and you repeat that process. And then after two weeks, <clears throat> let her come to a little more of a dry. It helps to tease the roots along. It allows them to breathe some, some real serious good breaths of oxygen. And um, typically when I let them dry out, the next watering, I normally try to make it a real healthy feed so they kind of uptake a lot more. And I also like to reintroduce more microbes because, like, by letting it dry out a little bit, if I lose any microbes, you know, by letting it get a little too dry, I'm putting them right back in so they can keep shitting and getting, you know. So, um, you know, every two weeks, you know, you keep that schedule. You won't get no root rot problems. You won't get no fungus gnats and things like that and um it actually in agriculture it's called a uh, crop pushing so like you're kind of starving them almost to that little bit and then when you do hit them they it's like me and you man you starve us for a couple of days and then throw us in like a buffet man me and you're gonna eat so we're sick like our guts are gonna be all swole out like oh shit they ate that much but they kind of do the same thing and you'll see them flowers start to bursting out like crazy man that's what I was saying, like, you kind of, the horse and the carrot thing, you know, like, you, you kind of want to stimulate them to do something, but you also kind of want to reward them with what they need to respond that way with it, you know, so, yeah. yeah. Awesome. So, I don't know if you've seen it, but uh, a new kind of hot thing is uh, vapor pressure deficit. Um, how much are you a believer in this whole vapor pressure deficit if you've ever heard of it? And uh, even kind of the more general question is um, what's your kind of number one growing tip for people? You know, if you could give someone one growing tip to someone who already grows, you know, what do you think something people kind of do wrong? <clears throat> um, overfeeding. Um, I notice a lot of plants, man, they, especially ones that have more of the sour, fuely taste, they tend to eat less. Now, like, when they're overfeeding them, they think, hey, man, the plant, it ain't burning. There ain't no burn on the leaves, so obviously they're, you know, it's not too much. But that's actually, that's wrong, man, because sometimes you can feed them too much. They won't burn, but they get complacent. Like, they'll just sit there in limbo, just not really getting any bigger. So, I know a lot of people feed too much. And, like, those fuely strains, man, <clears throat> like, I can feed... Like, if my one buddy's doing his normal thing, feeding the shit out of this plant, 
I can feed a third of the amount of what he's feeding it, and I'll yield twice as much as that sucker. So some plants are used to doing a whole lot with very little, and you kind of look at, like, their origins, you know. If you're on the top of a mountain in Afghanistan, you really ain't used to getting a whole lot of rain. You ain't used to getting a whole lot of good food. So when you do get a little bit, you can do a lot with it. But, you know, too much, man, they just get complacent on you. So I would say don't overfeed them and try try different things, you know, and take it slow. Like you can't, <clears throat> you can't learn a strain in one grow. I've grown some of these things 20 years, and I still learn new shit about them each time. And they're kind of like people. I would say their language is sign language. But it ain't like deaf people sign language. It's plant sign language. So if you can learn how to speak their language, you leaps and bounds ahead. So you learn how, like, how do they sign that, hey, I need calcium, hey, I need nitrogen, or hey, I'm happy as shit, or whatever. You learn their signs, and each plant's going to be a little different. And it's just like your close friend that you grew up with for 20, 30 years. You know when he's tired, man. He's got that certain look about him. You know when he might be getting a little hungry, a little grumpy. And you'll start to pick up on these things with those plants. So get to know them just like you do any 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 person or friend of yours or whatnot. And, you know, just take it slow and try a little bit, you know, start low and work yourself up. And then you might say, okay, well, you know, I got less yield this time and I fed just that little bit more. Let me go back to where I was last time. That was about right. And play around with your harvest dates, you know. Like, one day can make a considerable difference. I got one strain. It's got a 48-hour window. You're up there at like 28% THC. And if you miss that window by early a day or two or late a day or two, you're all the way down to 20%. So 9% in a 48-hour window. So play around with that a little bit, too. Like, I mean, the shit will blow your head off if you get it right. But it's real good either way. But, man, you hit it just right. Lord. Tough window of opportunity, it sounds like. <laughs> oh man, it's so tough. And like, if you were to be around me working, man, you'd laugh your ass off. I would sit there pacing back and forth by the plant all day, like, man, should I pull it? Is it ready? <laughs> I think it's ready. Did I fuck up in the beginning? Am I off a day? Am I on a day? Am I ahead a day? Man, shit. And I don't know when to pull it. And then I just go by my gut and say, oh, it seems right. And then I pull it, and 99% of the time, I'll, I'll get it. And sometimes shit happens. Yeah, that it does. So uh, time for a bit of a random product endorsement. What's uh, one product you'd recommend to everyone? Hmm. Hmm. For growing? For growing yeah. weed? Oh, you uh, know what? If, if anything, <laughs> if you recommend it, it must be good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um... <clears throat> I was going to say something dirty as shit, but I ain't going to do it. Um, yeah, you know what I'm going to recommend. Uh, so I would definitely recommend for growing, I would say uh, Dragonfly Earth Medicine. Uh, that is hands down the best product I've used ever. Like a lot of that stuff is like what I used to have to make on my own, which, you know, I never had a problem with. But growing this amount at this scale, it, uh, it does make it a little difficult for me. <clears throat> And man, the results spoke for themselves, man. I won't, I won't go back to using anything else. So, I would say the Dragonfly Earth Medicine line that makes organic growing easy as hell, man. You take all that, 
you know, little secret knowledge and little tricks and all that stuff, and they've done it all for you. They got it in a little bucket, and you just take a scoop, throw it in the water, pH it, let it brew, and you're good to go, man. It's real easy, simple, and it's real nice stuff. And they're real nice people, too, man. They're like Buddhists, you know? Oh, nice. Um, so, I think that just about wraps it up, to be honest. Um, is there any uh, shout-outs or any just general comments you wanted to make? Oh, man, shout-outs time. Uh, to everybody in Australia, man. Uh, y'all are cool-ass people. And uh, I'm glad that, uh, you know, that y'all can legally do this thing. But uh, don't do like America did and get it all screwed up. Just do what's right. Follow what's in your heart. Grow it good. Grow from your heart. And uh, try to help people. And uh, I've never met an Australian person I didn't like. Everybody seemed all genuine and good-hearted and wanting to help people, you know. So I think y'all are going to do awesome with that. Um, If you are uh, doing it and you ain't in the realms of the law, my daddy always said, if you ain't going to be good, make sure you're good at it. Because you don't want to get in trouble with the man. And then, uh, yeah, big shout-out to the fucking Kim family and all my people back in fucking Virginia and, all the cool growers around the world, man. And, you know, love y'all very much. Try to do a good job for y'all. And hopefully, you know, I can bump into y'all one of these days. And, uh, yeah, I reckon that's about it, my friend. So there you have it. A big thank you to Duke and Mr. Soul again. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, subscribe and all the usual stuff in order to keep up to date with us. And we'll see you next time.